Brent Martineau. You see him every day on CBS 47, Fox 30, Action Sports Jacks. Austin Lane. He's a former Jag star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live from the Anna Jar and Levine studio. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Welcome in on a Wednesday. Jaguars give us an injury report. It's not good for the Jaguars' defensive line. Calais Campbell missing practice. Yannick Ngakwe missing practice. Marcel Darius missing practice. That is not a good thing. But uh, we will talk all about the Jaguars' injury situation, what's going on with their defense throughout the next few hours. But we start the show in a different way, in a really cool way, here on a Wednesday. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Brent Martineau, along with former Jags player Austin Lane. And we're going all the way out to the West Coast. And we really appreciate this guy taking some time with us during a game week. They're about to play a football game against Houston in the state of Texas in a couple of days. But he knows Gardner Minshew very well. He coached him at Washington State. We welcome Mike Leach to the show. How you doing, Coach? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? We're doing fantastic. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. We won't keep you too long. I know you got a busy day getting ready for that football game on Friday. All right, what are your thoughts? Uh, Gardner Minshew's getting the start this week in the NFL, week two, as a rookie quarterback. <laughs> How cool is that? Uh, I'm excited for Gardner. Gardner's a great player, and I'll tell you, uh, Gardner came about a year from just sort of checking out and being a coach, but it's, so, so it's really I think fulfilling to a lot of us to see Gardner uh, in the NFL, and he played well last week. I think he'll play even better this week, although, uh, you know, over time he'll adjust and be even better uh, down the road. I don't want to be flipping about this, but you just brought up something that I, I, I actually wanted to ask you. If I would have put you, given you a scenario 18 months ago, maybe even 12 months ago, that in September of 2019, week two of the NFL season, Gardner Minshew would be the starting quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars against the Houston Texans, or a coach or grad coach or assistant coach somewhere else, which would you have picked? Well, let, let me just say this. Um, once he got drafted, I thought he would be the number two. I thought, with rare exception, whatever team he got on, he'd be the number two. And then... Um, you know, from that standpoint, now I didn't expect Nick Foles to get injured, but in the event that the starter did get injured, uh, then of course I thought Gardner would play. Hey there, Coach Austin Lane. Um, so we've been hearing a lot about Gardner Minshew's leadership and how he's all, already commanded the respect of that Jaguars locker room. And one would assume that he, he commanded that respect right away at Washington State. I mean, coming, you know, from Alabama, going to Washington State, um, all the stories that I read, it kind of seemed like he, he earned the respect of his teammates before he even stepped on the field week one against Wyoming. What do you attest to that? How did he gain the respect so fast? Well, he was able to do it really quickly. You know, he'd been... One thing that I think helped Gardner, and I, I don't re, you know, I don't recall Gardner out of high school, uh, but he went to a number of teams, went to Troy, went to JC in Mississippi, then he went to East Carolina, never did go to Alabama. Uh, we intercepted him in between, um, but, um, we were fortunate to get him and we were, uh, kind of between quarterbacks that had ever started and Gardner, Gardner had started some games, uh, split some time there at East Carolina. But, he, you know, I think having been at all those places, um, you know, he had some experience as far as adjusting to a locker room and what was important and probably could compare and contrast some 
from a healthy situation and a uh, less healthy situation. When he came to our place, which he wasn't able to come until uh, May, mid-May, uh, what I thought was most impressive, but maybe the most impressive thing he did was within a month integrate himself into our locker locker room. And then um, then when we went to camp, it was literally, literally a war between three quarterbacks who was going to be the starter. And they were good quarterbacks. And, we're, and I'm talking about two guys that, uh, well, one of them starting for us now, and the other uh, could definitely start in the Pac-12. And... Um, and then I felt like Gardner had the edge in particular because, you know, the team just rose and rallied around him. And um, uh, then, uh, and I'll tell you this too, Gardner had a, a when, when Gardner first played uh, at Jacksonville, he played better than he first, when he first played for us. He uh, that the first half of Wyoming was tough. Second half, he kind of got a rhythm played well and then just took off from there and um but i think he's going to do great things there at jacksonville or uh uh anytime he's on the field that uh, other people around him play better this is gardner Minshew's football team right now at least for the next couple of months the rookie sixth round pick out of washington state we are talking right now with mike leach the head football coach at washington <laughs> state who coach gardner Minshew, uh right here on action sports jacks on espn 690 thanks to coach for taking some time i you have to let everybody know because i can't do this although i've tried to illustrate it I, I didn't play football but i think the most impressive thing and the hard thing for us outside of the football world the x's and o's the locker room the team meeting the sideline of what Minshew did the other day was show so much composure and knowledge of the offense 10 minutes into a football season where he probably figured he'd never see the field in 2019 once the preseason ended. How impressive and I guess how much does that show the smarts of this guy that he was able to do that, take the playbook, take the team meetings, and put it out on the field when when the real action was flying in an NFL regular season game? Uh, you know what I honestly think, and, and listen, sports isn't a place for uh, rational people. Sports is a, a better place for irrational people because there's no great comebacks unless it's unexpected. You know, there's no great achievement unless it's unexpected. Um, just knowing Gardner and how he thinks, and just his natural course of optimism and. You know, uh, and he wouldn't be troubled by facts on this particular issue. It'd be more, he'd be more, um, um, tied to the passion of things. I really believe in the back of his mind and his heart somewhere, he felt like he'd be on the field at some point this year. Now, that may be true, that may not be true, but, uh, uh, he is one of those guys that really believes somehow I'm going to just find a way. Coach, uh, it's funny how he's already become kind of like a folk hero here in Jacksonville. He hasn't <laughs> been here that long. And I remember when I met him at the Senior Bowl, that was an interview that I just had to get because of reading all the stories about him in Washington State. I figured it would make for a great interview, and spoiler alert, it did. My question to you is, and you know, especially with professional athletes now, it's all about branding, right? It's about how you dress, how you come across on social media, and then you can parlay that to other opportunities. I mean, speaking with Gardner Minshew, I get the sense that he's not really concerned with the branding. Um, whether it's his mustache, his headband, or he's rocking jean shorts, I just feel like that's who he is as a person. Is, is that pretty accurate? Very accurate, very authentic guy. Uh, you know, just very, very straightforward, incredibly straightforward. I mean, 
you know, he's one of those guys that whatever he's doing, he's going to make it cool one way or the other because he's so enthusiastic about it. And then, uh, and you know, and then uh, some are going to follow him as a result of uh, his enthusiasm towards it. But he doesn't have a lot of distractions as far as, uh, you know, keeping up with uh, other stuff. And I think that also helps his focus, too. I think he's, a very, he's very focused because he's not uh, preoccupied with uh, – with uh, you know, fitting it, fitting in, or doing it the same way everybody else is doing it. Sounds like you might be describing yourself, Coach. Is that why you guys got along so well? You guys are pretty authentic, <laughs> genuine. You are who you are, comfortable in your own skin. I related to him extremely well. We we had a great relationship and still do. And I, I related to him extremely well. Uh, and I and I did feel like we thought about things the same way. Washington State coach Mike Leach with us here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Only going to keep you a couple more minutes because I know you got to get ready for a football game against Houston in the state of Texas on Friday. That's just a couple of days away. We really appreciate you taking the time. What did you say to Gardner? I, I think you, I saw your news conference over the weekend, uh, or maybe it was Monday, and I think you texted him. Have you talked to him since? What did you text him? Uh, well, just, you know, uh, basically, uh, told him, you know, I thought he did a heck of a job and that uh, we were all proud of him. Yeah, I bet they are. Uh, Is there a lot of talk about him back there in in Pullman? Yeah, throughout our staff and players. I mean, people are still texting him back and forth all the time, and everybody's updating everybody on what Gardner's up to or whether it's this play or, you know. I mean, the first play we updated everybody on was – he went in that preseason game and got smoked right away. Somebody didn't block somebody in the A gap and got blown up. And in typical Gardner fashion, we were all uh, we were all impressed that he didn't uh, let go of the ball. But he's got big, strong hands. But he got smoked, and so then uh, we're all telling everybody. But then after that, he rallied out of that and, and ended up playing pretty well in that preseason game. And then. Uh, but yeah, here you kind of got a little uh, network that's uh, everybody's updating everybody on what he's doing. Yeah, he showed resiliency and toughness in that game against Baltimore. I mean, he got popped. You're right, he got smoked in that game. You just mentioned strong hands. The knock on him is arm strength and obviously size. He's about six foot one, and in the NFL, everybody wants to be six three, six four, maybe even six five. Do you? He's got to play for two months now. I know he got off to a good start, but will any of those kind of things catch up to him at the NFL level? Are you afraid of that at all? Well, he, 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 he's real accurate, and his arm's plenty strong enough. And it was funny because the scouts would call me up. You know, they'd say, "Well, uh, you know, how's his arm strength?" And I'd say, "Better, you know, better than average, which it is better than average." And then I'd say, yeah, "How accurate is he? Oh, he's real accurate. You know, how is he? You know, uh, with the team, outstanding. You know, uh, can he check at the line of scrimmage? And of course, we check." the line of scrimmage a lot. I mean, he can check the line of scrimmage right now better than most of the NFL can check at the line of scrimmage. And part of it is because he's got more experience at it than a lot of the NFL does. And then, um, uh, and then you know, and I knew this was coming. And then they'd go, they'd go, well, uh, well, okay, now his size, how big is he? I go, I go, he's exactly the same height is the all-time leading passer in the history of the NFL, and he's 10 pounds heavier. How about that? <laughs> and then there'd just be a, 
a long silence on the other end, you know, <laughs> uh, 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 because uh, uh, and we'd have to measure him for sure. But I do think he's the same height as Drew Brees, and and uh, and I and I, I do believe he's ten pounds heavier. Maybe he's fifteen. I don't know. Well, he's probably ten pounds heavier and probably can squat probably two hundred pounds more than Drew Brees as well. I've seen Gardner Minshew work out before. He's a big dude. Uh, Coach, one last question for you from my end here. Um, you know, obviously Gardner speaks very highly of you. Uh, you know, the influence you've had at him at the quarterback position. My question to you is, what was the biggest thing that you take away from coaching Gardner? What, what has he taught you uh, from, from a football player perspective? Um. Say say that again. What so, was he like? What? No, I'm just wondering. What was the biggest thing that you took away from being his coach for a year? Well, that you know, the thing is, and you constantly get reminded reminded of some of the same things that you know and like lessons you've learned that need to be reinforced. You know, even with you as a coach. But um, you know, and and we have three goals around here, which is be a team be the most excited to play. He personified being the most excited to play and being the best at doing your job. And he, uh, his, his dedication to doing that was at a whole different level. Leave us on this because you're one of the best to ever do it in terms of tell stories. But when you're sitting on the porch in Pullman someday, or maybe you're already doing at breakfast or lunch or however, when people ask you about Gardner Minshew, what's the story you tell? Oh, well, there's a bunch of them, of course, and he was always calm and collected in a game. I mean, he he didn't put too many bad players together. He was great at not taking uh, a loss, um, you know, but I guess one of the best was is, uh, I knew that he really, really wanted to compete and play um, because these quarterbacks that uh, are available end up on the computer somewhere, and then... So then, as we're looking at it, then he's already committed to Alabama, and then, um, but we needed a quarterback. We also knew that they had a pile of them. We also knew that they weren't going to throw it very much, and then, um, so we called him up and and uh, and basically said, and this was we did this. This has been written about, but I did say this. I said, you want to hold a clipboard at Alabama or you want to leave the nation in passing at Washington State? And then, uh, well, within a couple of days, he visited here and then came here and off we went. There you go. Bingo. The rest is history at Washington State. And we'll see where the history takes us here in Jacksonville. I bet you learned this, Coach. Uh, the 904 area code in Jacksonville. I know you're getting a lot of calls about Gardner Minshew. We appreciate you taking a few minutes here on a Wednesday afternoon in Jacksonville to share some stories about Gardner. Well, that's outstanding because I used to live at uh, some of my fondest memories are coaching at Valdosta State just right up the road. So I used to go through Jacksonville all the time. Thanks so much. Hey, good luck uh, Friday night against Houston, and good luck the rest of the way this season. Mike Leach, head coach at Washington State. Appreciate your time. All right, thank you. You bet. Uh, that's pretty cool, Mike Leach, to be able to join us. Uh, right off the top of the show, it's noontime Pacific, lunchtime for Coach. He yeah. put the lunch aside and talked to little Gardner Minshew. Uh, fantastic stuff. If you're just catching on, we'll replay some of that. And, of course, you can always go back and check it out uh, on all the different video platforms and on our podcast, Action Sports Jacks, on ESPN 690. Good to catch up with Mike Leach, one of the – Great football coaches, great minds from a passing standpoint especially, and also 
One of the great characters. Yeah. In college sports. That that was awesome. Maybe in sports. Yeah, that that was awesome. Uh, Really good stuff uh, from Mike Leach. We'll get into the Jaguars. Some injury news and more on Minshew, of course, because this is his football team. He walked into the building at Jags headquarters today. And somewhere along the way, he had to realize, oh, whoa, this is my team. This is my locker room. This is my meeting room. That's my football field. My weight room. <laughs> See how much he can squat. Yeah. Uh, more Mitchu, more on the Jags, more on the rest of the day in sports. And the Antonio Brown stuff gets crazier and crazier and, and all so serious, too, as he takes the field for the New England Patriots. Thanks for hanging with us here on a Wednesday. Action Sports Jackson, ESPN 690. If I sit up here and I say it's not a concern, that, that's really BS, because if that was the case, then we would say we're resting them. It is always a concern. It's not, you know, sometimes, you know, you have a concern for, you know, hey, am I going to be able to get them on the field? You know, and, and that's just that's just a small part of it. You know, the other part is, hey, now when I'm going to get them on this field, they're going to be ready. That's the preparation part of it, you know what I'm saying, that you don't get, you know, because you're not out there. And then the next phase of it is the production. So, you know, are you concerned about it? Of course. I think if you sit up here and you say you're not, eh, I don't I don't think that's that's probably accurate. That's Doug Marone just a short time ago, a few hours ago, really, talking about the health of his football team because the latest now is Calais Campbell missing practice uh, with a foot injury. Yannick Ngakwe missing practice. Marcel Darius continues to have the elbow that kept him out of the game on Sunday. And the Jaguars obviously have other issues like Josh Oliver hamstring, Cedric Abwehi hamstring, and uh, Quincy Williams' knee, and Cam Robinson knee. Mm-hmm. So they've got some issues. And uh, listen, I don't think it's time to hit the red panic button. I really don't. This is football. Teams. Hunter Henry just went down for the Chargers again for the Chargers. I will say this. Last year, the second half of last year, really probably the three quarters of last year, and now the first week of this year, not really August as much, although there, it was a big topic the first couple weeks, how many guys weren't playing because of injuries. The Jags do have bad luck. I always put the Ravens and the Chargers in a category of teams. And I have not done the science on Mm -hmm. this, okay? I haven't done the analytics, the numbers, if it proves this way. But I feel like the Ravens and the Chargers are snake-bitten every year by injuries. I feel like it's the Chargers special. Special. (laughs) But the Chargers can overcome a bit because they have Phillip Rivers, and he's stayed healthy. Mm -hmm. But now the Jags are starting to join that because you lose your quarterback, first of all. That's a different animal. Mm -hmm. Anybody who loses the quarterback is like, whoa. Uh, Again, we're having fun with the Minshew stuff. But you lost the quarterback you paid $88 million to. Let's not lose sight on that just because Minshew went 22 or 25 and we're having a lot of fun with it. And we can't wait to see what else he's got. That's okay. Those are two different stories, though. Mm-hmm. And now this, uh, where, again, they played 16 offensive linemen last year. They lost Allen Robinson a few years ago at the start. And then they lost Marquise Lee right at the start after they gave him a four-year deal. So they have lost big-time players these last few years. Jags are starting to fit in the conversation of teams that might be snake-bitten by injury. Now, the reason I say don't hit the panic button is teams have to do this, man. You have to weather some time. It It might just be that the Jags is right at the start of the season. You have to weather some of these kind of injuries. And I don't get too concerned with injuries on Wednesday. I start getting concerned with injuries maybe a bit on Thursday and definitely on Friday because Friday's a day you kind of know. If they're questionable, doubtful, uh, out, you know, by then you kind of know. So I I think, listen, we got a show with Calais Campbell tomorrow. 
I'll, mm-hmm. I'll kick him in the foot or something and see how it feels. But <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't know if he'll shed any light on it. But maybe by tomorrow night, I'll have a better feel for it when we do Jaguars All Access at Mellow Mushroom with Glass. Mm-hmm. By the way, DJ Chark's coming on the show, too. And I got to believe Calais doesn't need a Wednesday practice or a Thursday practice. If he's kind of sore in a spot, then he'll be good to go on Sunday. In Gakwe, I kind of feel the same thing. We'll see how serious these things are. But let's see how the week progresses before we hit the panic button, I guess is my overall point. I'm not hitting the panic button on those guys that you just named. But to me, Marcel Darius is a guy that... I may be a little concerned about. This is an elbow issue. And, and, well, and when you think about it, I mean, how many possible elbow issues can you really have? You know, it's not like he has tennis elbow. He's not playing because of tennis elbow. You know, like it, it, it could be a moderate to a pretty serious injury. And I think Marcel Darius is the guy, obviously they had high expectations for him this year, and he's kind of the guy that sets everything up on that defense, Brent, because I think Calais Campbell would much rather play that big defensive end as opposed to playing that three technique, as we saw against Kansas City. And I'm not sure how comfortable they are bringing Taven Bryan in to take Marcel Darius' spot, you know, have him start. And I think, you know, a lot of things that they maybe want to do on defense, especially on the defensive line, showing some new looks and things of that nature, it revolves around Darius, you know. So I think he's a pretty big cog in uh, to, to making that defense go. So that's the only one that kind of scares me right now a little bit just because he has been out for a, a pretty good amount of time. Yeah, and he has, and you're right. I, I do th- you know, it's, it's weird, right? It, we we characterize from the outside. Like I see on an injury report, I'm like an elbow injury. Okay, my elbow hurts too. Sure. Um, yeah, he's a tough big guy. Yeah. He's not. That's not going to hold that guy down, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you you just don't know the severity of these things. You really don't. You'd think if it was super severe, they would have looked at something more long term or already announced it. They they feel like they're very day to day, week to week with Marcel Darius. That's why I thought he might even play on Sunday, but. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. With the hurricane and then with some of the things happening here, the, the Jags have availability a little bit later today. Mm-hmm. I've been down at Jags headquarters less than I normally am. Mm-hmm. So uh, I feel a little bit from that perspective, a little bit disconnected uh, on that front. But I, I just don't sense that these are – like even Josh Oliver, I feel like we're going to see him. I, I, I My expectation was when he went down that – he might miss a week or two, but I feel like we'll see him by Tennessee or Denver. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of season left, you know? Correct. So that's my expectation. I didn't even know Cam Robinson would play week one. I thought maybe he'd be back week two or three. Same type of deal. Well, now he's out because of a different reason, and I still don't get the sense that's going to be a six-week thing. I think he'll be able to give it a go again soon. Uh, Quincy Williams, I think he's going to have to really nurse this thing. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, he played, but... If you don't feel like you can go full go and you're a rookie on top of that, I don't like that combination. And they've got some veterans that can play that spot at least to get him a little bit healthier. So anyway, I'm not panicking yet. I think it's definitely a topic and it's notable. I I tweeted it out today uh, and Andy Lusmore said, what happened to sunshine and rainbows? But, you know, when you're you're missing three of your uh, defensive line and that's supposed to be really the strength of this football team, along with Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye, well, that's that's problematic. Well, then you're starting quarterback. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, a different yeah. animal. But I mean, it's yeah. But you're missing that that like that defensive line. That defense has a lot to prove this week against Houston. Correct. And now you see, and you're like, oh no, no Darius, no Ngakwe, no Campbell. Wait a minute, wait, whoa, whoa. And again, just to be clear, that doesn't mean they won't play Sunday. They're just not practicing today. That's yeah. the latest injury report. Uh, one other thought, and I think you kind of hit on this. I wonder. Even in that game against Kansas City, this is not an excuse. Mm-hmm. Not an excuse at all. Don't even take it as an excuse. I just wonder how much Darius allows them to do with his flexibility and prowess. I mean, he's a talented guy. 
and where Josh Allen would have been relative to where he had to play and some of the packages well, and the differences. And again, you brought that up a little bit, but how different are they from a disguise, things they worked on all offseason yeah. type of deal because they had uh, Darius in mind and a guy like Taven Bryan has not come along to be where he needs to be yet for them to do some of those things. Yeah, you know, when it was announced that uh, Josh Allen was taking over Clayus Campbell's spot at that big end and then Clayus Campbell was moving down, you know, I, I kind of had a little skeptical look on my face because I'm like, I just can't see Josh Allen playing that big five. You know, like I, I can't see him um, taking on double teams like Clayus Campbell does. And no disrespect to Josh Allen. I think he has the ability to eventually do that, but I think he's a little lighter than Clayus Campbell, obviously. He hasn't played with his hand in the dirt that much, so I was worried about that. But then I got to remember, oh, that's right, they're playing the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are pretty much spread out wide the entire time. So yeah. you didn't see a lot of base defense from the Jacksonville Jaguars. So even I feel like if Marcel Darius did play sure that they may have had a couple different um you know options to run defense but all things considered you can only do so much when there's five wide receivers split out wide you know like you, you can't really uh do a lot of different things of that nature jaguars just got off the practice field about an hour ago they do have some injuries gardner Minshew uh talked to the media about 45 minutes ago uh we'll try to get some of that for you throughout the rest of the afternoon uh, we caught up with mike leach the washington state coach who coached gardner Minshew uh just a short time ago at the top of our show if you just joined us uh we'll have more of that along the way what he had to say and what impresses you about Minshew. but when we come back i want to go to the antonio brown stuff again because mm-hmm. it takes a different turn we're here again and man. here we are uh, that didn't take long no uh almost surprisingly <laughs> almost surprisingly to me the patriots gave him a number i wasn't sure about that they gave him mm-hmm. number one uh well you know what number one means right now their biggest problem yeah because who knows where this goes for the new england patriots a little antonio brown talk when we come back on espn 690 Hey, welcome back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. A lot more Gardner Minshew talk, uh, more about our conversation with Mike Leach right off the top of the show. Not normal, by the way. That's all we no, normally no. do. Yeah. It was the only time we could get coach, and it worked out perfect. Uh, right when we went on, coach was there well, for us. And Dude's got a game on Friday, man. He's got to focus. Listen, I don't, wanna, I don't know the right way to say this, and I know it's, it's kind of an inside-the-business thing, mm-hmm. but I just can't tell you from a – like first of all, how appreciative I am that I mean we reached out to him like yesterday morning mm-hmm. and got communication and tried to work it out and found a time to work it out for today. So first of all, that that we even had communication, and secondly, that he did it. And I'm just telling you, covering college football, yeah. And not everybody's like this is a blanket statement, but covering college football can be really difficult these days. And you. That is about as unusual as I've ever seen. A guy, a coach of a Power Five program, two days before he's about to play a game, a road game, which means they're leaving tomorrow, mm-hmm. to come on and talk to some goofballs from Jacksonville about <laughs> Gardner Minshew. I mean, again, I, I just, I really appreciate it. It's more uh, kudos to them. It, it doesn't work that way. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we've tried to get people on in June when there's nothing going on, and local angles and yeah. people at college it's not easy uh but i say that and i've now had two experiences and positive ones ohio state helped us get sean wade on oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. from jacksonville a couple weeks ago and now mike leach from washington state so they are restoring my faith 
in okay. college football programs. There we go. And by the way, I understand everybody gets a ton of requests. There are yeah. a lot of outlets out there. And that's the other reason I tip my cap to them for for at least taking uh, 10 minutes or so with us. So, now, again, as long as we, inside the business, yeah. but Mike Leach, you're the man. Well, as long as we can get pro athletes to jump on board now, too, right, Brandon? Be on the show when we ask him to be, and then we'll be all good. <laughs> yeah. Not well, pointing any fingers or anything. <laughs> most part, they're pretty good. Most yeah, no, of the time. I'm just messing. Most of the time. I'm Brett messing. Martin, Austin Lane here. All right, let's get it, man. Antonio Brown, the latest uh, accused yeah, of rape. again. Yeah. And now, listen, this goes from antics, and I, I said we're not going to – I hesitate to, to joke about him and make light of him because I, you really wonder where he's been mentally over the last month and a half, maybe even the last couple of years with the Pittsburgh Steelers, too, some of these antics. I mean, it, it's beyond fathomable. You couldn't write what happened here leading to him to get to the New England Patriots. This is a different story. Mm-hmm. This is someone accusing him of rape, 2017, 2018, several different instances. And let's be blatantly honest, okay? There's an accusation out there. That's an accusation. In our world, we sometimes, you know, have to prove innocence rather than prove guilt. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that Antonio Brown's antics of the last couple of years and beyond have led to is there's no way he's getting the benefit of the doubt on anything. No. He just can't. He's not getting the benefit of the doubt. Drew Rosenhaus goes on ESPN today, says he's not guilty. This is a money grab. Can I believe that? Absolutely, I can believe that. Now, I also want to be very respectful to a potential victim mm-hmm. of sexual assault. But can you believe, has it happened before, that people have gone for a money grab against a high-profile athlete, especially given the timing? Yes. I, it's 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 certainly plausible. But all I'm saying on this front, until we get more information, obviously his lawyer, Rosenhaus, through Brown, have now denied it, is that Antonio Brown doesn't get benefit of doubt on any of these things. We now just wait to see how it plays out. But how does it impact the New England Patriots and how they approach it, and now the NFL, too? And remember, this isn't going to be a like a criminal case this is a civil case so it's gonna be a little different we're not gonna be watching like you know on the tv like yeah, oh yeah. Like, you know here's antonio brown in court and things like which that which also could lend credence to it is a money grab yeah it could yeah i, I mean yeah it's we see these situations so much now brent right where a player gets accused of a and you don't know if it's true or not and then also maybe like a video or some proof comes out it's like oh well then there you go he did it and you know, there are some text messages that have been circulating around and everything like that. I'm not sure if those are true or not. Um, apparently, the victim uh, does have a lot of, I guess, evidence um, that would hurt Antonio Brown with whether it's the text messages and things of that nature. I think emails, too, as well. And by all things considered, the, the victim seems like, you know, she's not out to get. The, I mean, at least from reading up on honor and her, her background story, um, I feel like she's not the type of person that would just go out there and try to get some money from Antonio Brown. They had a, they have a pretty good, or they had a pretty good relationship. They they worked together for a while. She was his trainer, um, from my understanding. Yep. And and they knew each other back in college. Exactly. Michigan, yes. And listen, and you just kind of got to let this play out a little bit and see what happens. Now, if you're the New England Patriots. I mean, obviously, this is—it's <laughs> not good for Bill Belichick, you know. I mean, this is uh, this is against who he is as a coach and his mo. But at the same time, I mean, welcome to the NFL, right? Like, it's just—it's just as the world turns, it's well, just another NFL thing. And listen, if, if there's one thing I'm not—I'm not—I'm you know, feeling bad for the New England Patriots. No, not you know, at New all. England Patriots did something that in society you wouldn't have done. You see all the stuff that Antonio Brown did the last few months, n- minus this. 
and they said, you know what, hey, that's okay. Let's go win football games, and we'll give you $15 million because but, you're a good football player. But to be fair, Brent, you can't have, like, you know, whatever, causing distractions over your helmet or whatever, calling on your teammates. and I mean, you can't put them in the same category no, 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 as no. rape. You no, know, I mean, no. it's completely it's, different. It's separate. My point is, before before this, yeah, okay. take away, before sure. yesterday, yep. the New England Patriots still said, I'm going to give you $15 million because I think you can score touchdowns to help us win games, and that's more important than you acting a fool yeah. and doing – whatever, breaking the code of really team sports and, and all the things you want to say. That's true. And so when the Patriots did that, they also invited a lot of – it was the reason I came out so strong, not because of this charge. You invite whatever Antonio Brown brings. Mm-hmm. And there are some people that said, hey, it's worth putting up with that, and then they can cut him if not, and they waste money, but who cares? They gave it a try. Hey, if you're in that camp, so be it. But then there are other people in my camp, and I heard Jack Del Rio talk like this, that you're bringing a toxic person into your, your locker room. And you're hoping that you and your culture can can fix that. And that hasn't been proven yet, that that's, that can be possible. So you invite whatever comes with it. And unfortunately for the New England Patriots, what comes with it, is this latest charge? We didn't see this coming. We thought no, it would be some yeah, antic this is of him on a sideline or or something else. This is a different animal but here. But now they have to deal with this. Bill Belichick had to deal with it, answering questions about it today. Bill Belichick doesn't like that. Mm-hmm. But Bill Belichick signed off on getting Antonio Brown, and this is whatever part of Antonio Brown. Bill Belichick today earlier in New England in Foxborough talking about the situation. Bill, were you aware of the lawsuit? When you signed Antonio Brown? I'm not going to be expanding on the statements that have already been given. Don't you think the fans deserve to hear a little more from you on when we know more, we'll say more. that you know, could impact the team? I just said that. Don't you think fans deserve to hear a little bit more? When we know more, we'll say more. So Bill Simple Belichick actually cut his press conference. I was reading the folks in Boston and New England sure. that were covering this. Uh, Providence, shout out to my Providence folks too. It's saying this was unprecedented. You know, he doesn't say a lot all the time. Bill Belichick, he might say one-word answers. He's not going to be very enlightening often, but he doesn't cut a press conference short. But because there were so many questions about Antonio Brown, I think this one lasted like four or five minutes, and he said, see you later. Uh, I wasn't watching it live, but that's what they said. So, But my point, you know, I I don't want to say you asked for this. That's not right, because they didn't know this charge was coming. I don't believe they did. I don't think so. Now, some people might know, but I don't think they did. I think this just came up, and the timing of it was, well, right on the money. Um, but that's what you get. Like, you have but, to stand up and answer questions. That's part of it. When you bring in Tony, if they weren't answer, asking questions about this, you know the first five minutes of that press conference was still going to be about Antonio Brown and why you picked him and why you are, are going to ride with this and try this. Yeah. It's, it's part of the territory, man. You signed up for it. He signed up for it, but listen, he answered the questions how, how he saw fit, and then he ended the, the press conference. Like this, this is not a new Bill Belichick. I mean, Bill Belichick's never been the guy to give you a lot of quotes or any sound bites, no. of, bites of that nature. And listen, I, I understand. Like you get what you get with Antonio Brown. You know what you're getting into. Very cool. Sounds good. So either Antonio Brown's going to be guilty and he's going to be thrown off the team. And guess what? In his contract, it uh, it says that if he has any kind of conduct that's detrimental to the team yeah. or of, the, of a Patriot player, his contract is voided. So then what? You just basically cut all your losses. You don't lose any money. And so be it. Like this is it's the NFL, man. And it's the Patriots organization. And they're taking a risk. Now, we'll see how this Antonio Brown situation does play out. We don't know if he's if he's going to be, uh, you know, if he's innocent or guilty. But 
it's not going to stop the Patriots from whooping the Dolphins on this no, Sunday. It's, it's you know, not. Like, it's just it's not. It's just that. Yeah, listen, take your ball and go home. But yeah. you're the one that that you wanted this player to play ball. So yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of that. And it's like, come on. I mean, what kind of bubble do you live in? You don't think you're going to get asked these questions now? You brought yeah. it on. You said, hey, let's take it on. We want it. We're going to do it. If it's good for Sundays. It better be good Monday through Saturday too. And well, it's not the case, I guess. Hey, real quick, does he play this weekend, or do they hold him out? I think he. Uh, I think he plays this weekend. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say it's only for like maybe ten reps. But but I, I think it, everything that we know right now, I think he does play this weekend. I'm going to say he doesn't. Okay. I'm going to say they don't play him this weekend. Say they hold out on this game. Well, I'll tell you what. You better change your number because you can't wear number one if you're a wide receiver. I'm pretty sure. Hmm. More on that and uh, <laughs> more on today There's and an anniversary uh, coming up next on ESPN 690. Doug Marone spoke about it earlier today. Obviously, you know, today's 9-11, which is, you know, a day that's heavy on a lot of our hearts. Um, you know, for, you know, I lost a teammate in college. I lost friends. Um, I'm sure we've all been affected in one way or the other. Um, you know, it's a day that we, we think about the first responders and people that put their lives on the line and people that lost their lives. And I just think it's something that needs to be brought up and, and, and attention to, you know. And then, you know, so I did talk to the team about it, to, you know, today, just to take a moment just to think about it. And, and, again, I hope everyone can just take a step back at one point during the day. And a quick prayer, you know, for those people. Of course, that's Doug Marone, Jaguars head coach, uh, talking about 9-11 and hashtag never forget. And I thought it was appropriate, Doug Marone, to do that. Of course, he's a, a guy that was uh, that grew up in the Bronx, so uh, New York close to home. Uh, for Doug Marone, but uh, 9-11, Washington, New York, uh, Pennsylvania, and really all over the country and world is close to all of us, it feels like. And it, it's uh, 18 years. Amazing how that day, I think, shaped so many lives, shaped so many different things. And a lot of people have different thoughts from political beliefs to to whatever else. And I'm not getting into that. But I just mm-hmm. think you talk about poignant moments in your lifetime. And to me, it is it is the defining moment of, of, of an of something that happened in my lifetime of 42 years that for some other folks uh, that maybe it was when they it was they lived during World War Two mm-hmm. or people lived when John Kennedy was assassinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you name you name your huge moment in in your history books mm-hmm. and to 9-11 is that it's one that i don't have anything directly related in terms of someone i knew mm-hmm. but i was a young person in this business just started about 22 years old i knew exactly where i was i could tell you that i won't i won't bore you with that but I remember rushing into the newsroom in Providence, and I was a sports guy, so it had zero impact. But I remember that scene and, and what that was like uh, in our industry. But uh, overall, it's just amazing how how much that resonates with you all the time. Uh, every time I go to New York, we visited the memorial uh, where the towers were. Mm-hmm. I can't read enough on 9-11 uh, the people that were involved, the heroes that were involved, the stories. I read another long article today about the falling man. Hadn't read that article before. Uh, just uh, 
an incredible and obviously awful moment uh, in, in our history. The only other moment that sticks out to me, like I know where I was and remember where I was exactly as kind of uh, growing up, was the Challenger exploding okay. in 1986. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 19, did I say 86? You said 86. 86. And uh, I remember being in elementary school for that. Mm-hmm. And that being, and I was into like space. And sure. I, that was a big, like they showed that because of Kristen McAuliffe, uh, who was a teacher in New, from New Hampshire who was going into space and on the Challenger, uh, one of the seven astronauts, that that was a big moment that she was from New England. Mm-hmm. They showed that in classrooms. And so I remember that being the other moment. But that obviously was a terrible moment and an impactful one, but not as wide reaching as 9 11. Yeah, I mean, I think we can all kind of remember exactly where we were when those events took place. Uh, for me, I was 11 years old and I was in middle school. And I remember I was sitting, it would have been like second period. So I was in like social studies. I'm sorry. No, I, I was in, uh, I was in like geography and we're just wrapping up class and everything. And all of a sudden, you know, the teacher comes in and says the twin towers have been attacked or I'm so yeah, one of the twin towers has been hit. And I'm going to be honest, Brent, you know, being 11 years old at the time, I guess I didn't really know the impact of what exactly that meant. All right. I got, I heard those words. I thought, okay, somebody, you know, some, mentally deranged person just hijacked the airplane and what you know i mean the crash in the twin towers so then we're going i'll never forget this we're going into our next class now and this is social studies um a teacher mr westfall um one of the best teachers i ever had and you know we we had a big assignment that we had to turn in he goes hang on to your assignments we're not doing anything today and he brought in a a tv he said we're all going to sit here and watch this and at that point, I'm like, wow, this this must be kind of a big deal what's happening. And then at that point, then the, the second plane uh, crashed into the other tower. And then you, you kind of get, the, you know, you get the realize, realization that it's, it's a big deal. And this was, you know, I'll be honest, this is as a kid, this was kind of like my first um my my introduction to terrorism you know like yeah. I, I, it's something i didn't really even comprehend and then um you know it was a very somber mood throughout that day then i remember our football game got canceled because of it because we, we had middle school football that day it was a tuesday uh the game got canceled mom said you got to come home right away and then i remember going to the gas station people were getting gas quick because it, it just it, it changed a lot of things brent but um yeah it was definitely a crazy scene. well it obviously changed a lot of things yeah uh, it, it certainly did yep. that's why it was such a poignant moment and what's crazy about it for me is i have two 14 year olds that weren't born then sure and they still can't kind of get enough of the information you know they mm-hmm. ask about it, very inquisitive about it even though they were born four years later sure uh, which i always found pretty interesting yeah you know that they would be that curious mm-hmm. about such an incident but uh thoughts and prayers with everybody first responders of course and we're and uh, we we do hashtag never forget yeah. uh, and it's impossible to do so uh, so we certainly want to remember, uh, even here on a sports show on a Wednesday. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 gets back to some sports talk, the Jags talk, some Minshew talk next on ESPN 690. There's a lot of good young quarterbacks now that, that have shown that, that I think are around the league. I think that, you know, um, whether it's, you know, the preparation of college or whatever, you know, whatever it may be, I think there is some of that. But, you know, it was obviously not to take away from Gardner's performance. It was, you know, it, it was impressive. I think when anyone looks at it, I think, you know, the challenge is, is hey, listen, we've got to repeat this. You know, where where are we going to go? I mean, you know, so some people, you know, will question whether he can keep it up. You know, hey, do you think he can do that again? Um, I think that's the challenge. Listen, I'm the ultimate sunshine and rainbows guy, but I question whether he can do it again. 
Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking 22 or 25. I mean, that was uncharted territory. But I think it's fair to question whether this guy can do it again. I mean, it's a hard thing. I think that's what you got to wrap your your arms around a little bit and your mind around a little bit and say, it's hard to play football in the NFL. It's really hard to play quarterback in the NFL. And it's really, really hard to be a six-round rookie and come in and be consistent and play well. So I think the questions are fair. They're warranted. And they will continue to be asked. I also think they're getting a little bit offset by a couple of things. One, for the first 24 to 48 hours, it was, damn, they just lost Nick Foles. Well, yeah. now that's set in. So now you move on to Minshew. The other thing is, what is this defense going to look like? I mean, it's almost like, hey, the offense is going to be fine. That's what I feel like everybody's mentality is. The offense went up and down the field 450 yards. The offense is going to be fine. But what about this defense? Are they going to be number one healthy, or are they going to be able to stop people, or are they going to be a major disappointment this year? I think those are the questions being asked now about the defense. Instead, people have kind of fallen in love with the Minshew mania to a degree, which is kind of cool. Like, I'm not knocking that. I think it's kind of cool. It's great. Let's ride it. I mean, the intrigue going into this weekend has nothing to do to me with Deshaun Watson, their offensive line, no. the Jags' defensive line, Jalen Ramsey, A.J. Boye, any of those kind of things. It really is about Gardner Minshew. I mean, can he? It, or did they just find something? Did this guy just beat all odds and say, hey, look what I can do, mm-hmm. which people have done in the past. You brought up a lot of different situations, uh, whether it's the Dak Prescott or Russell Wilson's of the world. I mean, it happens in the NFL. Could this guy be the next one? And the beauty for the Jags is, let's not start writing the script of, is he Tom Brady that just came in for Bledsoe? Is he Dak Prescott that came in for Tony Romo? Mm -hmm. He just has to be Gardner Minshew that maybe goes 500 for the next two months, and I'll be happy. Yeah. Well, and that's that's what he's super – he's very capable, I think, of doing that. And I think with the new style of offenses now, Brent, you know, Leach was one of the pioneers of that air raid offense, you know. And I think sometimes when people see uh, a Mike Leach coach team or, you know, all all these spread offenses like that, I think sometimes you think like the quarterback just literally listens to what the coach says and, you know, it's pretty much like like, kind of like a robot out there. You know, like he's not actually a football player. He just has his one read, throws the ball, and you're down the field. And that couldn't be any more opposite for Gardner Minshew. And I'm not saying John DeFilippo runs the air raid offense, but I think with what Leach implemented at Washington State really helped Gardner Minshew in becoming a great quarterback. You know, because, yes, we get the sense that Gardner Minshew is a smart individual. But how does that translate on the football field? Can you identify the coverages? Can you identify the double teams? Can you see what the defense is doing? And what we saw in week one, and I, and I get it, it's, it's, it's an overreaction. It's the Kansas City Chiefs. They're not a solid defense probably. We'll see. But, but he did it. But he did it, exactly. And I think that's a testament to the kind of offense that Coach Leach was running. I mean, I wish I could have picked his brain a little more, but obviously he was on short time. He's got a game in two days against Houston, so I completely understand. You know, I mean, there's the other quarterbacks out there. And what was the story with Kyler Murray we heard about when all the, the rumors started leaking out where Kyler Murray wasn't good on the board, right? right. Like, he, he struggled, um, you know, for playing the Oklahoma Sooners and that kind of system. Well, that's another kind of an air raid system, but that's more, I think, just the coach, you know, taking the coach's hand as opposed to the quarterback's hands. That's more McVay and Goff. Exactly, exactly. I think the fact that Leach, and you can kind of sense that a little bit talking to him, was comfortable enough to kind of hand him the keys. Yes, it's Mike Leach's offense, but Gardner Minshew's driving the car, right? Like, it's 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 like Mike Leach's car, but Gardner Minshew has the keys to it, you know? And, yeah. and Leach let him do that. So, 
from that perspective, um, you have to find confidence, you know, because this, this is a smart guy. The, the, the big moment's never going to be too big for him. And from the mentality aspect of it, you can't be worried at all. But now you have to wonder, you have to ask yourself, you have a Houston Texans team coming in. They're a little ticked off that they lost in the last second to the New Orleans Saints. A pretty solid defense who underperformed, I think, uh, against the Saints. We're going to be hungry at home. It's going to be a different animal, especially with Gardner Minshew, who, you know, in his two preseason games have been kind of telling, hasn't played that great uh, on the road. Yeah. On the road, yeah. yeah, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Uh, the the other part of this is, okay, it's Minshew, but did the Jags just showcase something that we haven't seen around here in quite a while? Did they actually have some weapons? True. Well, that makes the quarterbacking a lot easier, right? It does. Like, I mean, if you can run the ball, like I think Leonard Fournette was doing a little bit, um, I think the Chiefs had to take him seriously. And also having him in future in the past game now as well. You know, and not to say they didn't last year, Brent, but it, it's evident now that they want to get, you know, f- I think they want to get him involved more in the passing game, which opened things a lot, which opens things a lot up in the, you know, uh, as far from the linebacker perspective is concerned from your opponent. So you have that. You have three wide receivers who I think can beat you. You know, you have Chris Conley, you have Char. Uh, and then you have D.D. Westbrook, all guys who we talked about maybe aren't the bona fide ones, but three guys that can beat you in different ways. And I think if you have that kind of combination and you have an offensive line who can, all things considered, keep you upright, which they didn't do for Nick Foles, unfortunately, but I think they did a great job in helping Will Richardson against the Chiefs, you know, uh, kind of with Jeff Swaim, Jeff Swaim and going motion a lot and kind of, you know, chip block with what they call it. But um, kind of gained Will Richardson confidence. And you saw a guy who was confident left tackle. First time playing it since he was in high school. So if you have the offensive line that can keep you upright, uh, if you have the receivers that can get open, obviously you have the running game that can back it up, you have a chance. And then there's the guy that's probably not getting enough credit for this week, I think. And that's offensive coordinator John DeFilippo. Mm -hmm. What he did to have Minshew ready. What they did to kind of trim down the playbook. And and I know Minshew was kind of the guy, too. I think they said over the last couple of days, Minshew was the guy that kind of said, hey, I like this play. I like this play. I can do with this. You know, that kind of thing. But still, you got to be able to adjust on the fly, man. And there's a shell-shocked nature to this. That when you lose your starting guy, your franchise guy, the guy you've worked with, Foles and Flip have worked together. And they lose that in the first 10 minutes. He didn't blink either. And they had 450. Again, I think it's worth mentioning. I think it's worth saying something we've said all week. This Kansas City defense is not very good. And I don't think they're going to be very good. Yeah. But they did what they had to do. And I wanted to look this up because it didn't feel like it jumped out at me because Chark's performance, Fournette's performance at times, and also Conley's performance jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. And obviously Mitch's performance. James O'Shaughnessy, four catches. Jeff yeah. Swaim. Four catches. Now, it wasn't four catches and or six catches for 120 yards or anything like that. Nine targets combined, eight catches for the two tight ends for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, it's only combined like 50 yards. So yeah. I, I get. It. I'm not. But, I'm not trying to sit here and go say go get them on your fantasy team. No. I just thought it was notable because it didn't jump out to me. In fact, yesterday I remember thinking on the show, I was like, Hey, did they even have a catch? Like, can I remember a catch? Sure. Yeah. Can I? Uh, okay. There was one or two. I didn't think there were eight. I went back and looked it up. It didn't <laughs> I had feel no idea. like eight. Yeah. But there was some utilization of those guys, is my point. And I do think we have to keep John Filippo top of mind here because I think he deserves some credit for what happened on Sunday offensively. Absolutely. And let's be honest. You know, when you have Swam or O'Shaughnessy, I mean, those aren't guys that jump out on paper to you that are going to be the game wreckers at the tight end position, especially receiving. Now, maybe run blocking, sure, but not receiving. But if you're the Houston Texans defensive coordinator right now, 
you're looking at the stat sheets like you, like you did, and you see the tight ends had eight catches. Well, guess what? That keeps the defense honest. Where you just want to kind of focus on Fournette, you want to focus on the receivers. Well, we got to keep in mind that they had tight ends and get the ball as well. And you know, John D. Filippo likes, you know, regardless of who it is, likes throwing to the tight end position. So if anything, uh, that keeps the defense honest. And I think when you have a rookie quarterback, there's nothing more important than keeping the defense honest because we saw last year, Brent, Cody Kessler comes in and it was almost like, you know, they were just trying to help him out, not lose the game, but not win the game, right? Like they were just, just very vanilla, oh, yeah. things like that. I think with Gardner Minshew coming out in Houston, I don't see that. I, I, I think you're going to still see an aggressive offense um, that is confident in Gardner Minshew. And I think going forward, if you keep the defense honest like that, that's how you win the game. Yeah, and I'm not trying to rally the troops here and get overly excited about anybody. It was eight catches for like 49 yards out of the tight ends. I mean, nobody like, whoa, my goodness. Now, Chark might be something to get excited about. And I do think you have to keep in mind, again, the defense of Kansas City not so great. Also, there was some garbage-esque time mm-hmm. in there. To, to, to think about. So I'm not trying to say, whoa, wait a minute, look. I just don't think DeFilippo, with all the things being talked about, Minshew, Foles, the defense, Miles Jack, all those things, I don't think DeFilippo probably get enough credit for how he handled that situation. And is this something that we're going to see? I think of the questions we ask, can Minshew do it? Can Fournette stay healthy? Can this defense be elite, even though they got off to a terrible start? Can they even be good for that matter? I think one of the other questions we should ask is, can Filippo really continue to do this, even with a backup quarterback? I think you would sign up for the numbers that you had receiving before the game. They had six different guys catch between four and six passes. Yeah. They spread it out. I mean, that's like those are like Tom Brady kind of receiver numbers where he mm-hmm. just distributes to all these people. Well, so that that like you said, it keeps people honest. Uh, worth mentioning. Well, absolutely, and then that's kind of the beauty of it, right? It kind of speaks for the system. Well, at least, and listen, it's, it's game one, right, Brent? I don't want to do a big overreaction here, but history has shown that a lot of wide receivers could get a lot of receptions. Um, it's it's almost like the New England Patriots in terms of having their backs, you know? Like, do you take Sony Michelle in fantasy? Do you take Rex Burkhead in fantasy? Who do you take? You take James White. But what the Patriots do is they, they, they hustle out a fresh guy every single rep, and that helps out. Now, talking about the wide receivers, the Jacksonville Jaguars, you can't key in on one guy. We saw him key in on D.D. Westbrook because the whole narrative this whole offseason, D.D. Westbrook's going to be the guy. D.D. Westbrook's going to be the guy. Well, the Chiefs took him seriously. I mean, that was the focal point of that defense was stopping D.D. Westbrook. Well, very cool. We still had Chris Conley, and we still had D.J. Chark, and kind of a D.J. Chark coming out party. I'm really curious to see how teams are going to approach this now because both those guys, and this is something you kind of see rare, Brent, I think of like the, maybe the Falcons a couple years ago they had this, but you have a lot of guys that can beat you deep. Conley beat them deep. DJ Chari can beat them deep. Like it's one thing to have a bunch of slot guys who are just you know good route runners yeah. who can run ten yards and you get them the ball cool first down. But it's a different breed. It's a different animal when you have guys that can beat you deep. And once again, keeping the defense honest. Nothing keeps the defense more honest than running the go route. And keep in mind. Two guys that didn't catch a pass but have proven they can, Marquise Lee and Keelan Cole. Yeah. Those guys, and they can get deep if they want them to. They just mm-hmm. they didn't utilize them. Marquise more on a snap count, probably 12 plays, I think it was, and kept them in close. And Keelan Cole was, I don't want to say he's in the doghouse. It's just that I think he's deep in the rotation. Very deep. Uh, so, And these other guys were performing uh, pretty well. Uh, more Jags talk on the way, but coming up next, we got some balling and falling. There's some big news out of baseball in the last 24 hours. And uh, what I, else we I have on mind about on balling and falling Wednesday? It's on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690 next. Uh, Gardner came about a year from just sort of checking out and being a coach, but it's 
so it's really, I think, fulfilling to a lot of us to see Gardner uh, in the NFL, and he played well last week. I think he'll play even better this week, although, you know, over time he'll adjust and be even better uh, down the road. That's Washington State coach Mike Leach joining uh, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 at 3 o'clock today, earlier in the show, right off the top of the show, talking about Gardner Minshew, who played for him a year ago at Wazoo, of course, and played so well uh, to uh, throw for a gazillion yards in that fun offensive style of, uh, of Washington State's and Mike Leach. By the way, the entire interview uh, up on YouTube on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Uh, you will be able to see it on and hear it on Facebook on ESPN 690, and soon enough it will be on Instagram as well. What are we on Instagram? Because ESPN 690 or ESPN 690 Jacks? You're the Instagram guy. ESPN 690 Jacks. Yeah, okay. It's one of the two. If you can't find it, ESPN 690 or ESPN 690 Jacks. We have so many different platforms. How do you I can't not know keep where it's at, man? I figured you're on Instagram a lot, aren't you? I don't, am on don't, the gram. Don't, uh, I was going to say, don't call it that, but I here am. we are again. Yeah, That's going to be a $5 am, fine. Well, hey, you set that up. I mean, you <laughs> wanted me to say that. Uh, I'm just trying to push it some more. That's all I'm you trying to do. You threw me a softball. I, I really did. Speaking of softball, check out my shin. You see it? A little bruised. Yeah. What's up, man? Oh. What happened? I'll tell you what. There's a couple of things that work here. <laughs> One, I might be getting a little older and just can't handle it. If you did this golfing, I swear. No. Okay, good. I might be. My eyes might be going. I got to go see the doc or something. I don't know. Uh-oh. I'm not watching the last three feet, catching the, the softball, or Kaylee's drop ball is just nasty. Nasty. Because I caught her today. Yeah. And for the third straight time catching her, the drop ball hit me in the shin. And I'm telling you, it has hit me in the shin three times in a row in the same freaking spot. And it, this one is the worst, though. This yeah. one hurts. Yeah. Like, I thought, I was like, you know, because she kind of feels bad. <laughs> yeah, We're actually, yeah. like, pitching in the street. Okay. Uh, in the Like, in the neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, usually we'll go to the mound or something, but we just, today we didn't. And, uh, oh, man, it just gets killing me. Dude, but you can tell like she almost feels bad. Like should I, it's just a drop ball though. That's what happens. Sometimes yeah. I end up in the dirt. Mm-hmm. This time in the pavement, and oftentimes off my shin. Yeah, it is hard. I might have to go get shin like the the catcher's gear. Well, I was gonna say that also we can start getting you in the you know the gym and start kicking heavy bag a little bit and start killing well, those nerves <laughs> in your shin and, and you'll be well, ready listen, to roll. Dead. Hey, you'll be like, hey, can we throw a little lower next time? Right. Let's go. I've got. The, I forgot about that. I didn't yeah, even think man. about that. I've we got shin right. conditioning. We can, we can get you right, man. Yeah. Can oh. we throw a lower next time? God, it hurts so bad. One. Like yeah. this one, the first one, I was like, it's funny sometimes when things hurt. Mm-hmm. Like when you're a kid, and I think just the idea of pain and and just that yeah. instant, it's like ah, you start crying, and, and then you're fine. Two minutes later, it's you're funny, running around. Like, I don't think you get, I don't know if you get tougher. You know how to, your pain tolerance is better, your whatever, or you just like okay, it's gonna hurt for a couple seconds, and then it's gonna be okay. Yeah. So it's like, mm, like that. Bleepity yeah. bleep hurt. Like yeah. the first two were like that. Okay. I was kind of almost laughing. Yeah. This one still hurts. <laughs> this, I mean, this is one like the softball hit my shin, and like you know how you, you don't even have to look down. You know this well because you yeah. probably get it in your face sometimes. Oh yeah, from fighting. But you can you almost <laughs> feel the explosion of swelling. Yeah, it just was like well, and I'm not sure and how like, it worked for you, but I it's, knew it. It's the worst because you felt it hit, and then it's like a little delay, and like. <laughs> 
two seconds, like three seconds later, like, oh, it's going to come, and there it is, the pain. Like, it's the way it always seems to go. It's like a little delay, and then all of a sudden, here comes the pain. Uh, it's not like it was gradual swelling. Yeah. It just was like a pop. Instant swelling. <laughs> uh, oh, man. But it hurts. It, yeah. it really, it, this one hurts. Yeah. This one really hurts. But uh, but anyway, I, I should... I can't complain to you. No, it's uh, you, you get can that try, day. but it's yeah, it's just the way of the world. I forgot man. about that with the shins, man. Shin conditioning I, that has to kill now. Now I have more respect for the shin conditioning part of what you do. Thanks, dude. Because that just has to kill. Yeah. Uh, it, it's I don't even want to. <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. Fair enough. Uh, how about a little balling and falling before we get to Johnny Bachman? Uh, balling. The Dodgers won their seventh consecutive hey! division title. There you go, balling. That's all you got. Yep. Because I'm just saving myself for falling. All right. Rory McIlroy <laughs> wins uh, Player of the Year honors over Brooks Kepka. Mm. How about that? Yep. If cool. I had asked you that, John, maybe you can jump in. If I had asked you, <clears throat> Rory McIlroy or Brooks Kepka, who wins Player of the Year? Who would you say? Yeah, I, I see what you're. I see where you're going with that. Maybe Brooks is a victim of his own success. A little bit. That happens, right? Right, like like Bill Belichick. Even yeah. though I don't really like him today. Oh, Brooks uh, only won. Like he should be head coach every year. Every head coach right. of the year every year. Yeah. Right. How many majors did Brooks win this, this year? I think he, he just won the... Just won one, I think, right? I think he won the one and finished second in two others. Yeah, he just won one, though. See, I mean, last year he won how many? I think he had two last two year. Two or three? I think he had two, two last year. Yeah. So, you know. I lose track. Right. Well, sorry, Jack's boss. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I think Brooks is a victim of his own success because I think he had a great season. And, and you know what else so is Rory, interesting? Though, so, yeah. Well, Rory wins the Players' Championship, yeah. which is a huge event. In ter- you know, people don't classify as a major. We know it's a huge event around here. I'm mm-hmm. not trying to sell it. I'm just saying internally, like yeah. on the PGA Tour, within the mm-hmm. players, that's a big-time event. To win that, it, it does have almost every bound of meaning as a, as a major championship. And now the FedEx, to win the FedEx really puts a feather in your cap. Jim Furyk in 2010, I think, won the FedEx Cup, and I think won Player of the Year that year. So... It, it it carries weight when you're playing point. against the 30 best guys that season. That is a uh, heavyweight matchup. Well, so. and I also think, and I don't know if this is correlates, and I don't even know who won the most money, but I'm assuming Rory did because of he must have won. The I most don't know money. how you can. He won 15 he million dollars. Million. Million. Yeah, so yeah, I don't even have to look it up. He All did, right. but I think they try to. Co- you almost correlate that, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, connect the dots. Guy who won the most money often is the player of the year. Yeah, and I'm so. not sure that's necessarily the same thing because you could make a strong argument that Brooks Kepa did, did in fact have a better year if in fact he did win one and finish second in two other majors. Yeah. Uh, but, so anyway, I thought I think if you had asked me the question before, I would have been I would have been a tough answer. Mm-hmm. I would and, and I might have leaned toward Kepka. I would have picked Brooks, uh, but. Uh, well earned by uh, Rory McIlroy as well. Okay, and Rory, by the way, really quickly, shout out to Rory because he's been great for this area, especially for friends at the First Tee. He was phenomenal with the First Tee kids when he was here. He's a for the players. He's, he's a, a really good, classy good dude. dude. It's, yeah. it's the real difference between, and maybe the reason why you wonder at times if he can, when everybody's asking, is he the next Tiger Woods? Yeah. And let's listen. I love Tiger Woods, but he is like a 180 from Tiger Woods at that age, especially. Yeah. Tiger Woods. Didn't want to be around anybody. Didn't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. Didn't did what he had to do for his sponsors and everything else, and won a lot of golf tournaments, mm-hmm. and was awesome and fun to watch. Now he's changed a little bit. If the Tiger Woods of the last couple of years is a more pleasant, uh, more approachable, more you know everyday athlete, it feels like mm-hmm. uh, that you kind of like. You can almost fall in love with. He's a likable guy. Wasn't like that before. Roy McIlroy 
win loss. The only time he's not likable to me is Ryder Cup time because I root against him. Right. Sure. Um, but other than that, Roy McIlroy is a pretty likable guy. Great guy. Does a lot of work for the community. I mean, he was here doing, uh, I think it was magic tricks with some local kids before right. the tournament. Juggling, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah juggling. juggling. That's yeah, what yeah. it was. Juggling. Yeah. He gets it. Guy he really do it does all. get it. Yeah. All right, Fallen, I know where you're going. Uh, you know, I remember when Coach Leach just said that Gardner Minshew brought a lot of enthusiasm. That's why he's so successful as a quarterback. Well, I'm not going to be really enthusiastic with this one. Brent, chalk it up to another sleepless night, man. First it was uh, Dobbs coming in for the Jaguars, and now last night, um, as the Brewers won, they're turning uh. up the heat. They're one game outside of the wild card uh, spot. Their leader, my captain, oh captain, Christian Yelich, on pace for another MVP kind of season. Fall the ball off his foot, or his leg, his shin, and uh, it bounced off his kneecap and fractured his kneecap. And now Christian Yelich is out for the season. I hate baseball. Um, I'm upset. Uh, first Foles, now Yelich. I swear if something happens to Giannis, I don't know what I'm going to do. But um, not it's, it's not a good day for the Milwaukee Brewers, Brent. Yeah. You're to be a fan of them. Well, uh, that is a gut punch. And did you see yeah. how he did it? Was... Yeah. Oh, excuse me? Yeah. How does that happen? What are the odds of that? Yeah, I, I was shocked. It, it almost, he didn't even go. You know, some guys, they hit it off their, he hit it off his knee, followed it off his knee. Yeah. You know, some guys, a lot of guys follow it off their ankle yeah. and they go down. It's like, oh, that hurts. Yeah. Kind of like me getting hit by the drop ball today. Sure. But <laughs> like that hurt, instant yeah. pain. Yeah. But he didn't even really react that way no. from the video well, I saw. He's an MVP, Brent. Yeah. Yeah. Tough guy. Uh, he went to the body issue. So. He did go to the body. <laughs> now the body issue is without a kneecap. Is it the body issue, Chris? Is that what we're getting into now? <laughs> All right, one last one for me. Uh, falling for me. Here you go, Coos. little basketball mention. We knew it was coming. When mm-hmm. was it going to happen? Well, it happened this morning. France beat Team USA. Oh, yeah. And uh, did I see it was the number like 68 wins they had had in a row or 58, something? 58, I think I saw. 58, was yeah. it? But anyway, we knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that team is not the best team America can, United States can put together, and uh, it was bound to happen. They lose to France, and, and I think they lost by 10, so it wasn't even really uh, that close at the end of the day. All right, you got to go do some news, so let's bring you back into the fold, John Bachman. Yes. What you got uh, tonight on CBS 47 and Fox 30? Well, of course, 9-11 is on the top of everybody's yeah. mind, yep. and uh, we've got dozens of local firefighters up in New York City for the ceremonies going on there. So uh, we're talking to a couple of them. We're working on that for the for for tonight's shows. Uh, so if you're on the way home tonight, you don't have to rush home because that won't be on until um, 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock tonight on Action News Jacks. But um, we're also, of course, going to be covering all the events uh, throughout our newscast today on Action News Jacks at 5. And then uh, the other big story, of course, we're still following the, the ship up in Georgia. Um, and and we're, we've got... The Coast Guard has said we don't know exactly how we're going to get this thing out of here, but we've got this pretty cool animation that shows the way that they've done it in the past. So we kind of walk you through step by step how that happens. The other thing that's really um, something to follow is what's going to happen to all these dock workers that are um, missing work right now. This is you know this is the reason they're rushing through this. Uh, well, they're not going to they're not going to rush through it. Yeah, but they're, but they're trying, trying to, to get things open it. as quickly as they can because. With Dorian, the Dorian shut down that that port for days and days and days, and now this, there's actually some concern that if these these guys have to work a certain number of hours to keep their medical benefits, oh wow, and they're now up against the clock that they may not get that. So there's a meeting. Uh, there was a meeting at noon. There's another meeting at four today. 
Um, this is a real concern for a lot of folks working hard for their money every day. And so um, we're not sure how that's going to play out. So we're following that. We're going we're looking at that because you know these are these are guys who, who can't afford to, to miss out on something like that. Yeah. So uh, that's another big story we're following as well. A bunch right. of other stuff too, but uh, those are the big things. Yeah, that's uh that, that continues to be a pretty wild story up in uh, Saint Simon's Island. Yeah. Uh, one one last thought on nine uh, eleven. Yeah. Uh, you so we gotta be so sensitive as and we should be uh, to to nine eleven eighteen years ago. How eighteen years later? How do you think we look at the whole? Mm. I don't know. I hate to say event. Events a bad mm-hmm. kind of way to phrase it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess from because I read so many positive stories too. Mm. You know what I mean? I've Did you some see of the, the one that I posted today? The, the 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 one on uh, well uh, Wells yeah, uh, the well, bandana Crowther. Yeah, the, yeah, the guy from Boston Tom College did that story. Oh years my gosh, ago. great story, phenomenal. You know yeah. so. Uh, I, that's why I get torn sometimes. I, like yeah. those stories are inspiring. They're yeah. unbelievable. You meet you, you, but you almost know, that's, like that's where we are now with that, right? I think I, I like to look at it that way, right? Like this was an awful event, but look how we responded, and look at all these heroic things that came out of it. That that's the only way we can kind of move forward. We have to we have to make sure it doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. But uh, as a country, we can you know see what happened there and 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 celebrate. You know some of the positives that came out of that. And I think people. that's where we are. Yeah, I mean we 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 have to remember what happened, the sacrifices that were made, and that's what we're doing today. But I think stories like that are exactly what we need to celebrate. Yeah, I've always said in this industry, I said every, and I'm not like the first person to say this, but everybody has a story, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think uh, for so many people that we hear their story that would have never been told. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's a selfish look at it. It probably is, but. Uh, I think those are unbelievable stories that have been told. I guess that's the positive spin of a horrific event. Yeah, I mean we've we've got the the memorial there now, which is absolutely amazing, uh, and 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 truly uh, uh, it, it it takes your breath away. You know when yeah. you go in there and you and you just just You've absorb there, right? what yeah and we yeah. absorb what what it is I, and um it's really remarkable so anyway i'm going to leave you with something a little more lighthearted so a lot of folks are remembering where they were when this happened right yeah. this was 18 years ago there are a couple people in our newsroom brent you can appreciate this who tweeted that they were still in elementary school when this happened which of course a lot of folks he was middle, 11 middle school 11 yeah. so how old are you I was probably eight. six or yeah. eight. Eight. And right. that, you know, that gets you thinking too that there's a whole generation of kids out, people, not kids anymore. They're adults or working adults who, who don't have the same experience that, that people our age, yeah. your Brent and I are the same, similar age that we have of, of, you know, being young adults, but adults out in the world and having this happen to us. So one of the cool stories that I did, I was working in Sioux Falls at the time okay. and we, we turned it over to network coverage for the first, but it was basically the first day because there was, I mean, you know, there was nothing more to say, but by the next day we were starting to, starting to try to hash out, you know, the local response to all of this. And one of the stories I did as a young reporter was, um, I put microphones on a couple of uh, elementary kids and had multiple cameras as they said the Pledge of Allegiance in the morning at school. Mm. Elementary kids saying the Pledge of Allegiance with a new dawn. Well, it hit me when when a couple of our, our guys were posting where they were and that they were fourth. I'm thinking... Those kids are now. I'm I'm working with those kids. Those kids, the, those, yeah, those kids yeah. are now adults in our newsroom working right. working this story, and yeah. it just it just hit me uh, real hard that that story that sticks with me is now you know 
18 years old and, and crazy, crazy how that. Pretty, pretty well said. I, I brought up earlier. I mean, our, my kids who weren't born, they weren't born four years later. They are so inquisitive about 9-11. Right. I think it gives them even a perspective. We brought them to the 9-11 memorial yeah. in New York and, and they wanted to see it, ask questions. They want all those things. And so I think it, you talk about, like I said earlier, you talk about hashtag never forget. You right. don't even have to be born and had remembered the actual event to right. never forget. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, is again, uh, Probably a, 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 a somewhat positive spin to it, um, a, a horrific event. All right, CBS 47, Fox 30. Uh, tonight, 5 o'clock, John Bachman, Tanika Hughes, Mike Bursch. Have you latest on the forecast, tracking the tropics oh, a buddy, little bit? Oh, buddy, yeah. Yeah, you got to stay tuned for that. I do not send not it my way. Not another Dorian. Not another Dorian. I got a golf tournament on Monday. I, I <laughs> yeah. I, I think actually Monday it might be. The rain's supposed to come before that. I think. And um, there, there's yeah. I don't want to. I sp- think we're okay. We're gonna be nothing major, From but Monday. it's like you know, it's like oh man, it's getting busy it's, down there. It's busy down there. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Check it out. Five o'clock right. on CBS 47, Fox 30. Thanks for stopping by, Thanks, John guys. Bachman. Uh, more football talk, even some college football talk coming up halfway through the program, and more from Mike Leach. If you missed some of our conversation, we'll play some of that for you as well. The Washington State coach who coached Gardner Minshew. Some pretty cool perspective from Mike Leach on the way at ESPN 690. I really believe in the back of his mind and his heart somewhere he felt like he'd be on the field at some point this year. Now, that may be true. That may not be true. He is one of those guys that really believes somehow I'm going to just find a way. That's Mike Leach. On with us earlier in the program, actually to start the program right at 3 o'clock, Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690, the Washington State coach taking some time out of his schedule to talk a little Gardner Minshew with us. Uh, very cool to have him on board. You can catch the entire interview on YouTube, Facebook, be up on Instagram as well. We'll continue to play you uh, parts of it with Mike Leach talking about the new starting quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's the Gardner Minshew show, and uh, what a show <laughs> it is. It, you know, at times, and I say this in a complimentary way, not a bad way, it's it's a sideshow. It's not the Antonio Brown sideshow, but yeah. there's a sideshow to Minshew. And uh, he doesn't really talk about that or welcome that on. I think everybody else has just seen all the – I'm saying it this level. He kind of welcomed it on before because he's he's wearing goofy suits and, yeah. and he wore the, the bandana. But the way he is, just his personality kind of welcomes the questions, right? Mm-hmm. He's just different, and different is fun, and different is good. And uh, especially when you're talking about Gardner Minshew – Different is Duval. Difference is Duval. Very good. Maybe have somebody make a shirt on that. Uh, but the the, the okay. bottom line is, I find it interesting, and I say this a lot about you guys who play the game of football. There's an on and off switch, mm-hmm. and you know, defensive guys, whatever. There's a, like Miles Jack would never act like the way he acted, at least from my experience, off the field, yeah. the way he did on the field for that five minutes. Mm-hmm. There's an on and off switch, and he kind of went on and full throttle for a couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah, redlining. <laughs> yes, but the the Gardner Minshew part, his character persona, kind of the way he is, he almost flips that switch into CEO quarterback guy on the field. Mm-hmm. That's what my sense is because the way I I hear him talk. Uh, when you ask him questions about the position, the way I hear him talk in front of a microphone most of the time, the podium, uh, way we had him in production meetings, yeah. he was that CEO type. He'd never, if he was sitting there in a in a polo shirt and and boat shoes, yeah, you know, you would say, oh, okay, he's the quarterback of the football team. He he didn't come across as the guy wearing the bandana. 
<laughs> no, <laughs> even though he was wearing the bandana. The, the, that's an excellent point, you know. And back when I first interviewed him at the Senior Bowl, I was expecting to kind of have like that laid back, like the Uncle Rico kind of guy, just yeah. you know, just like you know, just like two boys talking and everything like that. But I even gained this sense there at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama, the fact that you know we we did have a couple laughs, but. He was there to prove something. I think that he went to that senior bowl with a chip on his shoulder, Brent. I think he was tired of hearing that he was too short. I think he was tired of hearing that he didn't have the arm strength. So while, you know, we, we may have laughed a little bit, you definitely sense that, you know, he also has like this competitive drive that doesn't necessarily correlate with his behavior off the field. And uh, I think you make up a great point. Whether we saw it in training camp or on the field, it seems like he can command a huddle, you know. And um, if you see the things that he does outside the field, whether it's wrestling giant grouper fish in the ocean or, <laughs> you know, all these crazy things or, you know, sometimes what he posts on Twitter, uh, you wouldn't expect a guy like that to be so comfortable in his skin to, to really be the general of the offense. But he's found that niche he's he's found that that right balance and so far it seems to be working out well for him there's something about life and football or your line of work or whatever it might be that if you want to be great at something or you want to have a lot of success i don't know if the two always go together but you gotta you you sometimes have to be different you have to do something different mm -hmm. maybe you have to outwork somebody Maybe you got to be smarter than anybody. Maybe you have to be a better communicator. Maybe you have to just have a different style about you, whatever it might be. Uh, different lines of work are different <laughs> in yeah. that sense. Mm -hmm. But at the quarterback position, we know this. You have to have something that is, to be great, you have to have something that is just super elite. Mm -hmm. And some people have arm strength. Some people have leadership ability. Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson come to mind for that. Some people like Tom Brady. I mean, I think between his, his accuracy, his knowledge of an offense, his, his arm strength still at this age. I mean, he might have so many things that's made him great. It's not just one. Yeah. And I asked this and talked about it yesterday. I said, what is the one thing that Gardner Minshew has that will allow him to be successful. I'm not sure elite is the right phrasing yet, but at least successful for the next couple of months at this position. And does he have that it factor? And what is it? And I don't know what it is. I don't know what the answer is, but it sure sounds like talking to Mike Leach, listening to Minshew, being around him, watching his performance on Sunday. He's got something. It's yeah. definitely not arm strength. It's mm -hmm. definitely not height. His accuracy was on point, but maybe it is that confidence, that it's, swagger, knowing who you are, or is it the scoring 42 on a wonderlick and being a really intelligent guy? You know, I smarts, don't know yeah. what it is, but it feels like he's got this it about him that relates to his teammates and allows him to be pretty good. I think we'll learn more about that maybe over the next couple months, especially if he has success. I'm not sure he's going to have success. Yeah. Um, the it factor that you're talking about, you know, if, if I was to sum it up into one category i think it's just the self-belief in himself and the fact that he doesn't get rattled and we always talk about Brent. there's a double standard in terms of quarterbacks yeah. right you have to look a certain way you have to act a certain way um a lot of quarterbacks don't have twitter a lot of quarterbacks don't have instagram um a lot of quarterbacks aren't gonna i'll say it again aren't gonna post themselves in the ocean with a giant grouper fish i would never do that uh, it looked very frightening if you know what i'm talking about Minshew went fishing apparently and jumped in with a giant grouper what were they called coos a oh, coos in here i think it's called like a goliath grouper if i'm not mistaken um so he doesn't fit the trend 
of you know every, the everyday quarterback. He's he's the outlier. He's not this clean cut guy. Um, he's got a mustache. You know, he's he's got this you know this his haircut. Uh, he wears jean shorts. You know, what I mean, it's everything really that if you saw him on the outside looking in, you would think, yeah, this guy is not a quarterback. I don't I don't want him leading my team. But he kind of proves the point where he steps on the field. All that doesn't matter because he's comfortable in being who he is. And like I brought up with, with Coach Leach here, you know, I think some guys play the game, Brent, and they, they put on this facade. You know, they, they, they want to up their brand and they want to kind of create this own persona of who they are, even though they're, you know, they're not actually that person. And that takes time. That takes energy. And that can take you away from the game of football a little bit. Antonio Brown right now, we're seeing that happen mm-hmm. in spades. But with Gardner Minshew, I think you got a guy, good, bad, or indifferent, who knows who he is, whether you you like him or you don't buy the hype, whatever it is, but he knows who he is as a person. So the, the outside noise, uh, all the energy that goes into maybe creating a new persona for yourself, he doesn't have to do that. All he has to do is focus on the playbook and focus on his teammates and when you have that, I think you have a chance to be a pretty successful quarterback in this league. It's certainly off to a good start. I don't know where it goes from here. I'm, I'm really, I know. I, I don't. Yeah. I'm not like over the moon about this, and I think we're kind of on the same page. But I'm also super like, I, intrigued. Like I can't wait until Sunday to see what it brings. And by the way, if he doesn't play, he's not going 22 or 25. I'm convinced of that. So if he doesn't play well, or even his average, I don't think we should jump off the train either. I think there will be a little bit of this. It's not. It's going to be a bit of a bumpy ride at times over the next couple of months. What they have to avoid is a disaster of a ride, a crash, and that means you're not you're just not in games and winning games and have a chance to win games. Like I've said all along, man, get this thing to 500 or four and five or five and four by the time November comes around, and I think he's done his job. That is what I'm asking Gardner Minshew to do and this football team to do. Get Nick Foles healthy and ready and back at it with a chance in November and December in the final, what would that be, six games, seven games of the year. And I think he has done an admirable job, and this team probably has done an admirable job if they're in that kind of position. And by the way, in the AFC South, if they're in that predicament, they won't be out of it. Yeah, I think that's crystal clear. Mm-hmm. Nobody's running away with the AFC South. No, no, it's it's gonna be up for grabs. I think through week fourteen, fifteen at least. Um, another thing too, I think we got what I mentioned with Gardner Minshew. You know, and I, and I get it. You know, I mean this this could be the week one overreaction, but this is the starting quarterback of the Jacksonville might Jaguars be the best now. We have. And this is what <laughs> I mean. This is it is what it is. He's now the leader of that offense. We might be killing him next Monday. Yeah, I know. Remember, <laughs> it'll be growing him. People might be shaving off their mustaches and everything. <laughs> but I, and I think it's also you know we talk about what does he have what. What is the it? And I go back to the first preseason game against Baltimore in Baltimore. And from a rookie quarterback's perspective, probably the worst game you could ever imagine. You know, you get decleated a couple of times. Your helmet pops off. Uh, hey, what's up, rookie? Welcome to NFL. It, it was his moment right there. And I think a lot of times when rookie quarterbacks go through that kind of beating, um, they tend to get a little gun shy. Absolutely. Uh, We've we seen saw, that here. I was just going to say, I think we saw it with Blaine Gabbard a little bit. Not saying, I mean, you know, it is it is what it is, right? Like, listen, if I was a quarterback and I played against Baltimore, my helmet came flying off a couple times, I would be gun shy too. Yeah. All right? I would, I would come into Jacksonville, get ready to play Philadelphia, and I would be gun shy. But you saw a quarterback in Minshew who came in against a pretty successful Philadelphia defense and took a couple shots, but also made a couple throws. And, 
it was very telling when you know they bring a blitz or something. Which, by the way, so many blitzes in the preseason, I couldn't believe how many blitzes I was seeing. You yeah. know, it's kind of rare. But well, you, they played the teams that have the mo for that. It's exactly. kind of a weird preseason, like yeah. That. But anyway, so you know, they would blitz a linebacker or something like that, come right down the middle on Minshew, and you didn't see him fluster. You you saw him stare down the storm. Uh, you saw him stare down the barrel and hit his receiver and take the hit. And that's very telling to have your first game in Baltimore go a hundred percent horribly wrong to rebound like that. That says a lot about a guy's character. And this is not a fun part to talk about a lot and rave about a guy about because it's not really a highlight thing. Most people say, well, that's your job. Well, your job is to hold on to the football. Mm. Your job is not give it to the other team. First of all, that's something we saw a lot of in the last handful of years. Number one. But when you get smoked on a play, like Mike Leach said, when Mike Leach was on with us earlier in the show, he acknowledged the part about that hit is that he hung on to the football. And that's when he brought up his big hands. (laughs) And he said, that's one thing he does. He does not give it to the other team. Mm -hmm. And that's something to keep an eye on. Don't lose sight of that. Didn't have that. uh, He didn't turn over and practice a bunch. Didn't turn over in the preseason. I think he lost a fumble, if I'm not mistaken. I thought he at least fumbled once. Maybe they didn't lose it when he got hit from behind. Uh, but outside, of, didn't throw it. I remember talking to him in production meetings, didn't put the ball in jeopardy a lot. Mm-hmm. And they were happy about that. And so, once again, 22 of 25, there was never a ball that you thought might get picked off Sunday. And knock on wood and hope that continues. But he will give this team a chance, especially if this defense comes around and plays like they're supposed to. Yeah. If he does not turn the football over. And that's part of the book. On Gardner Minshew, so you got to give him uh, a lot of credit on that front. Absolutely, you mentioned the defense too, and we haven't really talked about the defense a lot today. We will but, in the yeah, next segment. We will in the next segment, but I think you know that's something that has to be considered too as well. And if, if we're in the week one observations of you know really trying to hype up Gardner Minshew, we have to see what the defense is going to bring against the Houston Texans team that really ran the ball. I think 180 yards rushing, and if you go back to last season, the Saints. They were they were second in the NFL in rushing yards, averaged 80 a game. And I get it. You know, I mean, players move on and yeah. schemes are different. I, I get that. But I think New Orleans Saints are a team that really takes pride in stopping the rush, and they did not do that. And now you have a team like the Texans that have Carlos Hyde. You know, uh, Jacksonville fans should be really familiar with him. Brett Martineau is. And then you have a guy as a receiver in Duke Johnson. Um, you know, they, they had a lot of success when they were played together in Cleveland. And there's yeah. a reason why the Jacksonville Jaguars pursued Carlos Hyde in the first place. Reason why they gave up a fifth-round pick for him. And unfortunately, it didn't work out in Jacksonville. But he seems to have found kind of a resurgence now in Houston. So I think during the next break, too, we can break down the offense a little bit of the Houston Texans and what the Jaguars need to do to stop them. I'm going to ask you a question before we go to that break. But I'm going to hold it out for a couple minutes before we do that top okay. of the show. We will talk more about the Jags defense. Uh, a lot to hit to. I want to get a couple points in real quick. Well, number, You brought up number one, Antonio Brown. It didn't take us this long to figure it out. Just took us this long to uh, actually talk about it again. Yeah. In the NFL, you have to wear between number 80 and 89 or number 10 and 19. That's a rule. Yes. They gave him number one, and they actually even said it's a temporary number for number one, which mm. to your point is, yeah. you better earn this thing. Well, I think there's something right? more to that, honestly, because you even heard it so after the Patriots game when they interviewed Tom Brady after that, you know, the Steelers-Patriots Sunday night game, they interviewed Tom Brady by Antonio Brown, and I thought Tom Brady was very telling uh, of what was going to happen with Antonio Brown, where he said, you know, we hope that he can come in and earn some reps, he, he, he can earn some time playing with the great wide right, right receiving core, and we can go from there. Well, I thought that was very interesting, because Antonio Brown, arguably, whatever you want to say with him off the field, he is one of the best, uh, you know, 
wide receivers on the field. But the fact that even Tom Brady said, listen, he's going to have to come in here and earn those reps, I think it's very telling. And the fact, and I don't know how much I want to read into it. I'm not sure if I'm wearing a tinfoil hat here. But the fact that Antonio Brown was given number one, maybe it's Bill Belichick saying, listen, you're number one right now. You can't play on the field with that number. You have to earn another number, and you have to act right. And as we've seen so far, not acting really right so far. We talked about it just real briefly. Hunter Henry goes down with a, a broken bone in his left knee fracture yeah. they call it actually now a fracture to the left knee i thought it was like a fibia tibia kind of thing i saw the play i remember the play and it looked like it hurt it was one of those deals where the 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 defender tackles right at the legs like right at the yeah. knee and shit area and just you stop like mm-hmm. you just saw him stop and i was like here we go again with hunter henry that Man. guy can't stay healthy but again the chargers snake bitten a little bit uh that's a guy that they has a lot of promise yeah. Just can't keep him on the well, field. And so this is something that always drove me crazy, Brent, about talking about NFL players because now people are going to say about Hunter Henry, oh, the guy can't stay healthy. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the guy is soft. He, he's inju- injury prone. Yeah. Injury prone is one of the. I'm telling you right now, if, if you're in sports media and you call a guy injury prone, go ahead and ask for Fred Taylor how he feels about it. I'm sure he hated that being called injury prone. But listen, there's so much luck involved in the NFL sometimes, Brent. Like. There's nothing that Hunter Henry could have done about that. It wasn't because he wasn't working hard, hard in the off season. He wasn't, you know, approaching his craft uh, to 100. percent It's just the guy got a good hit on him, and I think anybody that takes that kind of hit is going to tear their to, to their knee up or break their knee, whatever happened to him. So it's bad luck. It's bad it luck in a violent game. Uh, a couple other notes. Uh, it looks like Tyree Kill. They're going to monitor. They're not putting him on injured reserve. So mm-hmm. for your fantasy football league, note that. The Bengals, A.J. Green, out of a boot. No timeline for his return, though. Probably still looking at missing him for the first month. Although Cincinnati looked halfway decent uh, in their opener despite a loss in Seattle, 21-20. to All right, here's the question. When we come back, we answer it. Do you have more confidence on Sunday in Gardner Minshew in the offense or in the Jaguars' defense? Ooh. I like it. That's a real freaking question. I know. Wow. <laughs> Did I just say that? Is this week two? What week is this now? We answer on ESPN 690 next. No, I, I know one thing. I think they'll be ready. I mean, you know, we're, we're banged up up front. You know, I don't really know who's going to be playing up front for us right now, you know, early in this week. You know, I know their line coach very well. You're talking about a team that won a division three out of four years that has an unbelievable amount of pride. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll step up, and it'll be a great challenge for us. They do have a lot of pride on the defensive side. Pride got stung a little bit last week, and they didn't react very well. Couldn't mm-hmm. come back from it. How do they bounce back this week? It's a question that we'll answer in uh, just a couple minutes. In fact, I asked the question, putting it out there right now on social media. I want you to answer this question. I'll try to answer my own question because it's a tough one. Who do you have more faith in this Sunday against Houston? Gardner Minshew in the offense or this defense that just got lit up for 40 points and KC scored on seven straight possessions? Especially after watching a Watson-led offense that could be pretty dynamic at times uh, against a pretty good Saints defense on Monday night. We'll answer that question in a bit. But first, it's happy hour horn time on a Wednesday midweek. Brought to you by Vita DeLuise. Now we can see the 
the beautiful ladies marching in. There's enough for everyone to win. We're gonna make this party the best thing I've made. This is my favorite place. Nothing right will replace. No. Nothing. Anything goes. Gangsters are rolling, half face smiling. And so oh I boy. think of the rhythm while you're drinking. Anything Grab a drink, get a shot, repeat, Kristen Yelich, get better, man. Ah, uh, poor guy. Yeah. Lily recently got a 94 rating. A locally owned tequila right here in Jacksville, made in Tequila, Mexico, shipped directly to Jats Beach. Make your own recipes with Vita Dilui Tequila, one of the smoothest tequilas you'll ever taste. For locations, recipes, and merchandise, visit VitaDilui.com. Drink responsibly. Vita Dilui will be part of our Action Sports Jacks Dream 18 coming up on Monday at the Golf Club at Southampton. Can't wait. Uh, we've been working on this bad boy for a while and uh, hopefully have a Good weather and a successful event. Uh, the Action Sports Shacks team will be out there. I think Coos and Austin Lane are coming out. So yeah. come on out and say hello. Uh, if you're not signed up already, well, you're probably out of time. ActionSportsShackStream18.com is the uh, website. Uh, special thanks, by the way, to uh, so many people. But let's give a shout-out to the food vendors that will be out there on course. One of the parts of the tournament, we like we don't do really like a sit-down breakfast or a sit-down lunch after. We just have food out there all day. And I got this concept. You don't know where I got the food concept from? No, listen, this isn't like I started it, first of all. There's <laughs> food a trucks, lot of, bread and bread in them. There's a lot of golf tournaments that have food out on the course. Yeah. But when I saw, I covered an event back at Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut when I was working in Providence okay. way back in the day. So mm -hmm. I was 22, 23 years old. And Tony Saragusa held the golf tournament. Now, Tony Saragusa had a lot of things out there that probably aren't going to be at our golf tournament. Um, it felt like. <laughs> But he had food, man, on every hole. And I'm talking like a spread yeah. on every hole. So a, a smorgasbord, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole works. And, <laughs> but it fit, right? It fit the bill. Well, it's Tony Saragusa. Obviously. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it had some great celebrities out there. But I always say, I said after the time, and, you know, once in a while you look down the road, you're like, hey, if I do a golf tournament or something like that, I'm going to have food out on the golf course. Sure. And so uh, that's one of the things we do. I and like we that. have done, uh, Rennes Pizza will be there. Moe's, welcome to Moe's. They'll be there. Jumpin' Jack's House of Food, Metro Diner, Smoothie King to cool you down. Maple Street will be bringing some breakfast. Uh, Front Porch Kettle Corn will be out there for some snacks as well. And again, uh, from a, a drink standpoint, Vita DeLuis. And uh, we have to thank uh, Anheuser-Busch as well. Budweiser uh, will uh, be donating some of the beverages so, on Monday. Coos, do we just do like a whole circuit? Like we're not gonna, probably going to play golf, but do we get a golf cart and just <laughs> go to hold the hole? That's what I was just about to ask. Is, do we get a golf cart? Because if you're looking for us, just check the food spots. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's actually one of the – it's hard to plan. The things that's hard to plan okay. is say, hey, how many golfers do you have? That's what people want to know when they bring out the food. I say, well, I like to keep it between 100 and 110 golfers, but we're actually getting closer to like 120, yeah. 124, which is makes me a little nervous. I like to keep it a little lower so we can get in and out and, and keep it moving. But then I say, well, we probably will have about 30 peop other people out there. Yes. Volunteers, other yes. people that work in it, and they will probably be yes. eating your food. Yes. And they might, it might be one person that feels like it's like four people. Yep. Do we get, can we, like, I mean, this is your thing, Brent. So can we get like a VIP badge where we can kind of cut the line if we have <laughs> yeah, to? Like, yeah, I like sorry. that idea. Sorry, the VIP is coming through. Thank you. Hey. Like like, uh, like my father-in-law always says, just tell them who you are. Coos, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're going to be fine, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> tell them who you are, dude. All I don't right. know. Uh, so anyway, thanks to all those fine folks for helping us out on Monday. Dream 18 coming up. going to be a lot of fun. Uh, okay, let's get back to the Jags. I asked the question. 
who do you have more faith in? And mm-hmm. this is a realistic question, man. I can't believe I'm asking this. Yeah. If if I had asked if if you told me I'd ask this question on Wednesday of this week and you told me that last week, I would have laughed. Like, what <laughs> are we we're, doing? If we're going into Kansas City, you asked me this question. Like, what are you talking about, yeah. man? Yeah, yeah. So now, and even Kansas City to a degree might have made a little bit more sense because of how good KC's de- offense was and and how yeah. how poor sometimes Kansas City's defense is. And you had Nick Foles. True. Yeah, but well, but you got Gardner Minshew, your quarterback went down, and I'm asking, are there some people that believe the offense? I've got more faith in that. Are you down on the defense that much? What's the answer? If it's me talking, Brent, and I'm not being biased here, I'm just going by what the identity of the Jacksonville Jaguars has been the past couple years, and I'm I'm gonna roll with that, and, I, and I'm gonna ride and die with that. Uh, I think their defense is going to bounce back. Not to say Minshew can't have a decent game, but I think it's going to all happen on their defense. Uh, they're not playing the Kansas City Chiefs. The Houston Texans, they do intrigue me a little bit from their passing game. Deshaun Watson uh, is a pretty legit quarterback. Backup Alex Magoo could come in and absolutely just tear the house down. Just kidding, Brent. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you never know, though. <laughs> I caught that. Okay, good, good, good. I mean, we're talking about Gardner Minshew. I got to talk about my, my boy Alex Magoo a little That's bit. True. You know what I'm saying? Because we both have cornucopious has, amounts of swag. I was going to say, who has more swag? Me, me, me or, yeah, me you or him? him or Minshew? I don't know, man. It's uh. It's up for debate. I, I don't want to answer it. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to stay humble here. But in, in all honesty, um, the success of the Jacksonville Jaguars is going to be predicated on how well their defense does. And if we see the defense lay another egg this week, then you can start losing a, a little faith in the Jacksonville Jaguars this season. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think the, the Houston Texans offensive line is um, is beatable. Uh, at every single spot. Yeah, that's you know, what gives you the faith that's in the what gives defense, you the faith. right? Now, w- we see the injury uh, report, you know, and Marcel Doris, we're not sure if he's good to go. You can assume pretty much everybody else should be yeah, good just to go. Update, we should update, uh, you know, not only Marcel Darius still there who missed last week's game, the elbow is still on the practice report, missing practice, so is Calais Campbell with a foot. Mm-hmm. Yannick Ngakwe missed practice today, too, so... Yeah, we don't know. I mean, we don't, and that's concern for Doug Marone and everybody else. Yeah, and it, it kind of comes down to what Houston plans on doing. Um, are they going to be like the old Houston Texans and just kind of run the ball and set up the pass, or is this the new, uh, new school who's Houston Texans who are going to run that spread a lot, um, kind of flex a lot of guys out? Because that's what. Kansas City did the Jacksonville Jaguars to a, to a lot of success. And we actually have a question off YouTube um, kind of pertaining to the defense I wanted to quick get to. Uh, I thought this guy brought up a pretty good point here. Can you read the question quick? I can't remember how it was worded. Yeah, it was more asking about playing uh, or not playing zone anymore because it's clearly not working. Yeah. So if I mean, if you go back to the, the, by the way, get used to this topic. Press? Should we play press? Can you play press every down or yeah. the, the zone? It, it's it's See, it's like six in the crawl of the fans. No, sometimes. no, exactly. And listen, there there is no perfect answer, right? You have to run a combination of both. But here's my philosophy, Brent. I see you have Jalen Ramsey, who can stick with anybody. He's proven that before. I see you have AJ Boye, who can stick with anybody for the most part. I mean, he had a problem with Kelsey, but and that's kind of more of a size thing than it is with anything. But I think where you have two guys, you have quote-unquote, supposed to be the best two corners in the league, you know, as far as a tandem are concerned, I press. 
You know, I, I, and I've said this many times on the show before. When teams start to go bunch and they go that tight bunch formation and you saw the Patriots do it, the only way to beat that formation and beat that timing is to press the wide receivers and throw that timing off. And then that way you make it so much easier on your defensive line of getting the quarterback. Because if that quarterback finds the rhythm and the, the, the receivers aren't getting pressed, it's like, oh, all right, I'll just, you know, I'll drop off right here. I'll throw it right here. I'll throw it right here. It makes it too easy for the quarterback. And you saw that with Patrick Mahomes, Brent. I mean, he, not to say he had all day to throw because he didn't, but he looks so calm and collected back there. Who's to say Watson can't do the same thing? So I hope that, you know, I do see a little more man because I think when you go man, Brent, you're basically saying our corners are better than your receivers. And I have confidence that my corners are going to make the plays. I think corners want that. I think Jalen Ramsey wants to play man every single rep. I think A.J. Boy wants to go man. He does, and I think you're right. The problem is it's not feasible to do it every rep. Yeah, you know this no, because no, you can't I, I, get a, I, I, you can't get DeAndre Hopkins take you forty yards down the field. DeAndre Hopkins, you know what happens when DeAndre Hopkins takes you forty yards down the field? He checks out, somebody else comes in for a play, yeah. but Jalen Ramsey stays in the play. No, I understand. So, that, but, I mean, but you I'm understand saying, yeah. why they do it sometimes. No, and that's what I'm saying. You have to find that right combination, that right mixture. So sometimes you you can fake the press and then and then you know back off a little bit and go to zone. I understand that, but I'm just saying you know from a defensive standpoint, whether it's press or zone, I still want to see guys on the line. Because even if you're running a zone coverage, if you give the illusion of man, if, if you press the guy a little bit, that still makes the quarterback think. And that's what I want to see happen. I, I want to see quarterbacks confused. I want to see Patrick Mahomes checking down or calling something else because he doesn't like what he sees. I didn't see that in the Chiefs game. Yeah. I, I didn't see Patrick Mahomes come to the line and be like, oh, no, let's get out of this right now. Yeah, this yeah. isn't good. No. I, I didn't see that <laughs> once. Hey, <laughs> I saw Patrick Mahomes go, oh, cool, sounds good. Okay, here we go. What's up, Kelsey? Hey, uh, what's up, Watkins? And then I saw Patrick Mahomes look at the ref and throw the ball to Kelsey, not even looking at the receiver. That's yeah, there how comfortable was never, he was. There was never the kill, kill, kill. No. no. And, <laughs> they and called guess, every play. And guess they wanted what? to run, and they and, ran it. And, and I'm just saying, I use the Patriots a lot, almost to the point where it's sickening, but I use the Patriots game. If you watch that Patriots game, Patrick Mahomes did look a little flustered to start the game out because he didn't know if they were in zone, if they were in man. He had to call off some of the plays. I didn't see that one time versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. What puts more stress on the safeties, the press or the zone? Because zone, you have a lot of communication involved. Yeah. And the, the idea is keep everybody in front of you. Well, then when Ronnie Harrison whiffs on a tackle and bam, there goes sure. uh, there, there goes Sammy Watkins. So. But my, my, although it's stressful from a you don't want anybody to beat you because of the press and you might have to cover for that guy. No. I think that communication can be so tricky, especially the young guys. So which is harder for the two safeties? Listen, I never played safety, but if I'm calling the defense, I'm definitely saying that the zone coverage is a lot more stressful on safeties because at least when you go man – you have this area, you have, you know, you have the corners back and that's it. You know, when you're doing that zone coverage, what you saw Kansas City do a little bit is that they would overload to a, to a gap, to a side. Well, all of a sudden, if they start overloading to that side, you have a lot of guys that get confused, especially guys that, you know, aren't used to playing together. You know, uh, Communication is key when you're talking about zone coverages, Brent. And when you have a young defense, I think uh, the linebacking core, and then two safeties, number one, a guy who's going into his second year, and another guy who hasn't started a lot, yeah, there's going to be lapses. And if you go, man, that can kind of make up for them a little bit. All right. Uh, hey, i got a question, another question when we come back. So did we ever answer the question? You have more faith in the defense. Defense. What about you? I'm going to answer the question coming back. Okay. And I'll tell you why my answer might be a little different. Minshew Mania, here we go. Brent's all all aboard, man. This is, this is like the new Phil Mickelson. Brent's all in on Gardner <laughs> Minshew. I love it. Hey, does Minshew play golf left-handed? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he plays in both ways. Is he yeah. the first guy to ever wear a mustache? <laughs> you think so. Might be the first guy to ever wear mustache, jorts, 
and a bandana. Yeah, I feel like Jake Plummer was rocking a mustache way back in the day, right? Jake yeah. the Snake? Yeah, yeah. But with George and a bandana? I'm going to I'm gonna do a little research on that. I feel like I saw a trading card one time from Tops that had Jake Plummer <laughs> rocking a mustache and a bandana, but I can't confirm that right now. Trading card days with Tops. Very yeah, nice. You remember uh, those? Hey, more to come on ESPN 690. Yeah, no, I mean, the first play we updated everybody on was uh, he went in that preseason game and got smoked right away. Somebody didn't block somebody in the A-gap and got blown up. And in typical Gardner fashion, we were all in, uh, we were all impressed that he didn't uh, let go of the ball. But he's got big, strong hands. That was Washington State coach Mike Leach on the show earlier today. He led off the show with us on Action Sports Chats on ESPN 690. Of course, Coach... Gardner Minshew at Wazoo. They were all watching, and <laughs> it is kind of funny the way he said, hey, he got smoked. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody remembers the picture. More than the hit, you remember the picture now, yeah. right, with Gardner Minshew's helmet flying off, uh, or at least looking like it's going to fly off. And uh, he did hold on to the football. You forget that part. Yes, he did. And then he got back up, and I think on third down on that drive, he delivered a nice throw mm-hmm. as well. And it's like, wow, this guy's pretty tough. Uh, so he, there's that going for him. If you missed our interview with Mike Leach, a lot of fun talking about Gardner Minshew. Pretty much the first 15 minutes of the show. As always, you can go back on any of the uh, social media platforms and watch the show uh, like many of you do, and we appreciate that. You can also check it out on the Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 podcast. And Coos has cut the interview out separately and put it on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, I think. Um, if I said that correctly, he looked at me funny when I said that, but I think he did something of the sort. No, yeah, so that's okay. where they are. That's exactly what happened, yes. Okay. Very good. good. All right, so I'm not lying. Yeah. That's good. I lie sometimes, but I'm not lying this time. You always have to deliver, Brent. You have to deliver. Uh, all right, before, at the top of the show, uh, top of the hour, I'm sorry, I asked the question, who do you have more confidence in? Minshew-led offense or this defense after giving up 40 and really looking bad and Miles Jack and now some injury report guys and, and all this stuff. You said defense, and, and that's a good answer. I'm not I'm not debating the answer as much. But I am going to go the other way on it. Okay. And I'm going to go the other way on it with this. I saw Leonard Fournette. I saw DJ Chark and Chris Conley, and I think I'll see more of D.D. Westbrook. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think uh, you'll even – I mean, he had the touchdown catch, but I think you'll see more of him. I think they'll find ways to get him the football. But my confidence in the Jaguars' offense might have to do more with the Houston Texans' defense, which in if you think about the Houston Texans' defense, you think stout defense. You think good defense. You're like, that's a strength of the football team. I think times are flipping. How good is this Houston defense? J.J. Watt, I'll give him credit. J.J. Watt, maybe he is still J.J. Watt. He had an awful game the other day. Yeah. I'm, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to say he got old and he's done. I'm not saying that. Wendy Muslis has killed this football team in the past. True. He has been very good. But they don't have Jadavion Clowney. And go ahead and read the depth chart and, and their names on, on their defense, and you're not like, wow. I mean, they have Tayshawn Gibson, who's a nice player, but a nice player. We saw him here. Uh, Jonathan Joseph's still there. Again, they have some parts. But to me, they don't really wow you defensively. I think we have to get that out of our heads. And for that reason, I think the Jaguars will be able to do some things on offense. So it used to be when playing the Houston Texans, you had the game plan around Clowney and J.J. Watt, right? So you couldn't really focus on one side of the ball and get help over there because you had the other side was either Clowney or Watt come the other side. But watching J.J. Watt, Brent, and 
it's obvious that he still has, and I talked about it before on the show. If you're the best pass rusher, um, you know, if, if you have your pass rushing stripes, if you will, uh, you have dibs of where you can line up. You yeah. have dibs of where you want to rush the passer from. So I think the Texans saw that Ryan Ramchek on the right side, uh, you know, of the, that Saints line, uh, they, they saw a young guy who played D3 ball who transferred to Wisconsin and they thought JJ Watt can beat him one on one. And surprisingly a lot during that game, they didn't help out Ramchek at all. That that right tackle, they, they let him go one on one against J.J. Watt, and every single time, and this was very rare to see, J.J. Watt wasn't winning those battles, you know, and, and you're so used to seeing J.J. Watt just dominating, you know, getting in the backfield, causing chaos, getting his arms around the quarterback, and you didn't see that uh, against New Orleans Saints. Now, that's one game, you know, I mean, am I sitting here saying right now that J.J. Watt uh, is, is on the back nine of his career and he maybe lost this step? Possibly. It's just one game. Let's see how it goes. Because don't forget, the Denver Broncos came out and laid a goose egg as well with Bon Miller. And the Jags and so, defense was awful. Yeah. So guess what? Yeah. It happens. Yeah. You know. So I think JJ uh, Wall had like six sacks. Something. Right. Just just more motivated and he's mad listening and to the show right oh, now. Oh, exactly. And I'm sure he's taking all the branch chain amino acids. <laughs> he's getting extra pumped up and everything. Uh, yeah, Brenda. That, that's that blue collar Wisconsin guy. So. This isn't the Don't have a special place in your heart for JJ Watt. Well, you're not allowed to do that. Played hockey against him. I got a little off special place. <laughs> uh, but you know, th- this isn't the usual Houston Texans defense but that you're accustomed to seeing. You know, even back when I played ball. Um you know, they, they relied a lot on their linebackers. They always had great linebacking play. They had a very stout and solid defensive line, and they could cover in the secondary. And I get it's only one game, but I'm not going from what I saw against the Saints. I'm going by what I see on paper. I'm seeing the players that they have right now. Yes, Whitney Merciless is a, is a, is a great player, but I think their secondary um, you know, can be attacked, and I think their linebacking core isn't what you're used to seeing from the Houston Texans. I think we have to get be careful to get caught up in two trendy things that have happened for a long time. Let's just say the last handful of years. One, the Jaguars offense hadn't been very good. And once you lose your starting quarterback, you're like, oh, that can't be any good now, right? I yeah. mean, that's just going to be the outside perception. One, because they haven't been any good for the most part. And, well, now you don't have your quarterback. You paid $88 million. I'm not saying it's an unfair <laughs> perspective to have. I just think you got to be careful not to get caught up in that trend of the last five years. And at the same token, I think you have to be careful to say, Hey, Houston is J.J. Watt. Hey, Houston is Whitney Merciless. Hey, Houston is Jonathan Joseph and, and Tayshawn Gibson. This defense is unbelievable. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is the Houston defense. They lost Clowney, and they've lost other guys along the way. I don't think this is the, the oh, boy, look out for their defense of the last handful of years. So a couple of trendy things to keep an eye on. As we welcome in Action Sports, Jack Stewart Weber. Speaking of trendy. Am I trendy? Uh, no, not at all, but I just thought it was a nice little... Okay. <laughs> it was a nice setup for you. I was going to say that... That's that, why there was a long pause. He's he making was, I didn't know what else to say after either. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, what? Um, that Texans if defense... Marcel was in, now maybe. Yeah, yeah that's that's yeah. different. Yep. That's, he thinks he is in his head. Yes. The yeah. uh, Texans defense no longer has Aaron Colvin either. That's a good point. I forgot to bring him up. What a wild story, man. They gave him a bunch of money. A lot of money. And and he hey, has not held... Talk about what week went over reactions. That's, you, you, well, you pay the guy that much money, then you cut him out. I mean, he did not play well for him last year either. And okay, I think I saw yeah. a pro football focus thing on the Texans. I don't know how true this was or not, but I, it's pro football focus. Some people like it. Some people don't. Bottom line is, I think they went at him nine times. He gave up eight catches for like 118 yards or something like that. There you go. He didn't get it done, which means he they don't just cut a guy that they're paying that kind of money to. They He wasn't getting it done in August, most likely, and he didn't get it done last year at that position, which means he just wasn't ready. Now, he got paid. God bless him. 
happy for you. Colvin's a good dude too, and he's a nice story. Uh, but he's more of a nickel. He's just cemented his say, status he was a good as a nickel, nickel for corner. us. Yeah, he's not a corner. He's not a star corner in the NFL. Uh, he's more of a nickel corner. I think that's what he cemented. Now, yeah. did the Jags entertain bringing him back? I think that was a big question last night when I saw this, and I would say, I don't think so. I think they're good with Hayden in that spot. I think spot. D.J. Hayden yeah. played pretty well from that spot. Now, nobody played well last week. Sure. But mm-hmm. I think D.J. Hayden, he missed the first six games of last year. I think he was a pleasant surprise. In fact, some people, I think you could argue, almost was an upgrade to Colvin. And people coming off 2017 wondered if they could fill Colvin's shoes when he left to go to Houston. Mm-hmm. I think he did it, and maybe even then some a year ago. Yeah. Uh, in your discussion on which which side you're kind of going with that Jags offense or defense, I'm going with Austin on this one in the defense. Uh, simply because I've seen the guys on that defensive side of the ball win games for this team. And that's not something I've seen, despite the success that Minshew and his offense had. I haven't seen them win. You know, yeah, I haven't yeah. seen them go out there and do what it takes to, to be on top at the end of the game. And that defense has led this team to wins. The vast majority, I know it's different year to year, but the vast majority of those guys were around and together and led this team to victory. Why do you need like an injection of confidence? I mean, you just got a fist pump just because Stewart agreed with you. Yesterday, it was a fist pump because Jason Fitz agreed with you. I mean, why do you need those fist pumps? I don't understand. And people on Twitter agree with me, too. I don't know, man. It's, it's always good to hear like when people agree with you, Brent. Mm. What, why are you being so bitter about it? Maybe you should say some smart people can agree with you, too. <laughs> How does that sound? Yeah. Not I've only predicted down, like the last 10 things that have happened. <laughs> Just to let you know I'm not backing down, Brent. All right. I, I, I'm in this thing for the long haul here. Hey, uh, to one thought, and we haven't talked about this enough. A.J. Boye needs to play Ooh. better. For your defense to be the right yes. answer here, A.J. Boye might start becoming a little bit of a concern. Wasn't great last year at times. Again, the whole defense struggled at times last year. It wasn't nearly as dominant, so the kind of the narrative gets that way. Didn't think he had a good game No. Sunday. And again, the defense didn't have a good game, but it stuck out to me. Like, Jalen Ramsey, I don't think, had a good game. The more you look at the film, I think people will say he didn't have a good game. I didn't need to look at the film to say A.J. Boyd didn't have a good game. I can honestly say I don't think anybody on the defense really had a good game. Yeah. I mean, no no, 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 no one's really coming to mind, honestly. But, um, yeah, if you're talking about the best corner tandem in the NFL, yeah, sort of acting like it. Simple as that. Yeah, you got it right. Uh, Hey, when we get back, a little college football. We stay in your lane. A half hour to go here on the show. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. You know, most of the time, the offense, you know, especially the the passing game part of it is going to, it's going to evolve around, you know, the, the the quarterback position. So, you know, you go through that, and it's, you know, like like you say, you, you look back, and, you know, it's easy to say, hey, all the work we did in OTAs, all the work we did on the playbook, all the work, you know, all that was geared for Nick Foles. Well, you know, in a matter of, you know, a quarter, that, that's out the window, and here we go, you know, starting again. So, you know, it's a challenge, and, and, and we're up for it, and, you know, I like the guys that we're going through it with. Well, Doug Marone continues to preach confidence in his football team and and trying to rally the troops a little bit. I think it sounds like at times, you know, and and, there was a time in the middle of camp where he was down in the dumps Mm -hmm. with all the injuries. Remember that Saturday morning? And I think he's handled this part well. You know, we talk about a couple different ways, right? How he handled Miles Jack's situation might have been different in front of a, a podium or behind a podium than it was in in a team meeting room or maybe the one-on-one with Miles Jack. I think the same thing here is, hey, he's trying to 
say, hey, we got this thing still. It's early in the year. Don't panic. I, I, I respect that because that's where you got to go. I mean, what else do you do? You go say, what was me? Feel bad, bad for yourself. You lose your quarterback. You've yeah. got to continue to have faith in the guys that you have, even if in the back of your mind, you're not sure how much faith you have in your guys that you have. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not going to come out and say, oh, yeah, I'm not confident. We suck. Like, how how's that can help the team out, Brent? You know, like, I mean, it's it's plain as day of, yeah, it's going to be vanilla and it's going to be the, the typical coach speak. But that's what you have to do to try to build a successful team. There's no way around it. Yeah, everybody's going to feed off of his mood and his yeah. feeling, the, the fan base, the players, the media. I mean, it, it all kind of starts there with the head coach. And, and we kind of can take some cues from him and kind of go from there. Absolutely. Uh, all right. We've talked a lot about the NFL, maybe a little bit more in, in just a bit. But I want to talk uh, some college football. Gator over here. Uh, Gators uh, have a game coming up this week at Kentucky. Got a big break in the early part of the season. First of all, you have Kentucky, a bad Tennessee team. Those are breaks in itself. Got to start a, start a new streak this year. Yeah, start a new streak. That's right. That one st- uh, stuck out a year ago. Uh, first time in three decades, essentially, that they had lost to Kentucky. But they do get a break. They should really crew. I don't know how good Florida is. And I said this yesterday about Gator fans. I'm not sure they know how good they are. And I think there's a quiet confidence, but not like a pound your chest confidence. I respect that out of the Gator fans. Now, I'm not all over the message boards on on the Florida Gators. Maybe they are a little bit more arrogant and cocky about Mm -hmm. their football team since they're top 10. And they're probably better than everybody else in the state. A lot of them are, no matter what the circumstances (laughs) anyways. But yes. But I just get this sense that there's like, okay. We kind of got away with one against Miami. We did some things well, but we got away with one. Not, and UT Martin, it wasn't machine-like, but we did what we were supposed to do. Kentucky's not going to be that good. We better take care of business. We better beat Tennessee because Tennessee's Tennessee. But what are we? And, and, and I will sense that even Florida folks don't really, in their heart of hearts, believe they're a top-10 football team right now. Right, and, and that's the thing. It's a, the mood is not going to change until you play a team that maybe you're not supposed to beat or a team that is supposed to be neck-and-neck neck with you as far as comp- competition goes. Gator fans thought they were going to beat Miami by two scores. They yeah. thought they were that much better. Of course, you were going to say that about last week in the, the cupcake. And same goes for Kentucky and Tennessee. I mean, the with the state of those teams and where – you perceive your team to be, you know, that's how you're going to feel. You're not going to know if this is if this is the true indication of your team. And they want to see what the squad looks like going against top-notch competition, going against the yellow shoes and the Georgias uh, and those teams that they'll face later on this year, Auburn as well. Uh, so certainly I think once those games roll around, as long as you don't have the hiccup and lose against somebody you're not supposed to, that's when that's when you really get a good sense uh, of what this team is capable of at the end of the year. I think if you take something out of this Kentucky game coming up, I mean, the the success of Florida is going to be directly correlated to how well Felipe Franks does this season. And when you're talking about the Kentucky Wildcats, I get it. They're not that good of a team this year, but they've had Felipe Franks' number. You know, he, he's been benched one time playing against them. Another time he had a really horrible game. So mm-hmm. all things considered, I understand this is a game that Florida should win easily, but I'm going to watch Felipe Franks. I want to see how he does because you got to think, you know, coming back from two games where you didn't play that well and one game you got benched against Kentucky, that's going to be in his mind a little bit. You know, another point on Florida is there should be a little bit of quiet confidence just because of based on what else you got. Again, Kentucky and Tennessee coming up in the next couple of weeks, and then maybe we get a more of a read. But that's also the SEC East. I mean, you're beating those teams even if you don't play well, most likely. South Carolina doesn't scare you at all. 
I mean, the, the up and down. We can go up and down. And, and Missouri what, does just because well, Missouri's awful been a little, every single year. Okay, but if you can go into your conference schedule and your job is to win the SEC East, that's what you try to do. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you can you can have bigger aspirations. And again, I just don't think the Gators are fooling anybody. They're not a Final Four caliber team. I mean, well, that's can, the thing. Can, you win you win the East, it gets you in Atlanta and gives you a chance to go to the Final Four. It, that's what it can happen. And so the goal is to win the East. But really, what we're talking about are two games. That might trip you up, even if you're, you don't even know how good you are. And that's Missouri because they just seem to have your number. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously Georgia because, quite frankly, they are better than you. But can you pull the upset? Oh, and they're playing LSU as well. Yeah, in Baton Rouge. Too. That's gonna so, be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's another game as well. Well, I get it. And they play Auburn too. Yeah. But I'm saying in the East. In the East. Who, the are, East. You, yeah. who, you, who you. are you worried about? You know, again, I'm not thinking. I just don't believe the Gators are anything close to a Final Four team. I really don't. Mm-hmm. And so the LSU, they could beat Auburn at home. I don't believe they'll beat LSU. Mm-hmm. And I think you do have to worry at times. They're not to the point like if Georgia was going to play Kentucky, if Georgia had Tennessee next, I say, I don't even, there's not even like a 0% chance. I mean, a, like a 0.1% chance they lose this game. Florida, I still feel like they can throw a, Bad Felipe Franks game out there, yeah. potentially. You revert back to some history, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, shoot, maybe. Well, they almost did that against Miami. I mean. That's what I mean. So, no, you're, so again, if you're looking at the East. Uh, there's Georgia, and then there's everybody else. It, but for Florida's sake, even that they should be somewhat confident because there's nobody else, really, other no, than Georgia. No, that's and Missouri point. is just their one bugaboo game. And especially the West, you got teams like Alabama, and it seems like everyone was kind of taking, well, A&M could be the dark horse. You know, A&M could come up now with Jimbo Fisher. Well, you got Auburn, who looks pretty tough. You have LSU, obviously, who I think is the most intriguing team now from the West. So, yeah, if you're the Florida Gators, you're at least confident when you come into to Jacksonville playing Georgia, you at least have a chance to get that the East. Let me move on to the Florida State Seminoles. We spent a lot of time on them, I feel like. But what does turn it around for them? They've, they, they continue to talk like they've got talent. Their defense and, and, and Taggart as well continues to kind of hint that I think everybody else feels like they need to learn how to make adjustments that they aren't really ready to admit that in the adjustment category. Virginia, I mean, if you beat Virginia, they are a, a significant, I don't even know what the points are, but they are significantly, in everybody's mind at least, an underdog going into this game. Seven and a half. Virginia. Is that all it is? Yep. I'm actually surprised that's all it is. Is it something like that? That take nobody thinks you're going to win this football game, and they go up there and they beat them. A, Vir, a Virginia team that say, hey, listen, Virginia's not LSU and they're not Texas and they're not Ohio State, but they're expected to be pretty good this year. Well, this is something like that that now. kind of turns yeah, around. Twenty-five, but. See, if I'm Florida State, I'm not even thinking like that. I'm not thinking like we're going to Virginia, we're going against Bryce Perkins in this offense, and we're the underdogs. If I'm Florida State, I'm not thinking like that. We're Florida State. Did you watch the tape the last two weeks? Well, I, I get what you're saying, Brent. But if I'm the coaching staff, I'm listening. Like, they obviously haven't played to their full potential yet, not even close. I understand that. But... If I'm the if I'm not Willie Taggart, I'm not saying, well, guys, you know, everyone's calling us out here this one. We got to come up and show up. No, I'm like, you guys should be winning. This is a game that we should win. It shouldn't be like, oh, we got to play our best game and we're the underdogs. I wouldn't play that kind of angle. I get it, man, but I think that's one of the problems Florida State has right now. Florida State feels like because they have Florida State uniforms on that they can just walk out on the field and win. And what they do is they almost lose to Louisiana Monroe. And they do lose to Boise State, and they haven't won many football games in the last two years. I've got a feeling that is a little bit at the top, 
Willie Taggart's coming in, but like, hey, I grew up watching Florida State. This is Florida State. We are Florida State. We walk out on that field and we win. Well, guess what? These Seminoles don't. They don't win. And so I think they almost have to take a different tact. They almost have to play that underdog role and say, all right, you don't think we can win? You don't think we're Florida State? Watch this. Well, that's the thing is the way they've lost those games. They've gone out there early and showed that we're Florida State. We're going to run all over you thing. And then they didn't finish. So I think not only beating Virginia, but if they beat Virginia in a way that doesn't show them fading at the end of a game, in a way that shows them finishing strong, I think that's the first step towards turning it around for yeah. them. We'll see if they can do it. And uh, Yeah, stop that offense first. You know, that's what it comes down to. We'll do this in the pick segment coming up on Friday. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on UCF Stanford. We did a little bit of it yesterday, too. No doubt the game of the week in the country, really. Shouldn't all eyes be on that game? Well, Stanford maybe made it lose its luster a little bit. Banged up QB situation, yeah. didn't play well against USC, out there, coming across the country. Regardless, big-time game, fun game uh, in Orlando uh, for UCF. More college football talk the next couple of days. When we come back, we put a bow on the show. Hear what Mike Leach had to say earlier on the show about Gardner Minshew and a little stay in your lane next on ESPN 690. Uh, I don't know. He's he's kind of in his own deal, man. I I got a communications degree. I mean, I know I know all y'all know about him. Yeah, so, shoot, we're, we're, we're I belong in this room more than that one. Carter, make sure just call us a bunch of dummies. Uh, I think he's just calling Dobbs really smart, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which I will give him that award. He, he is will. Yeah. He's a rocket scientist. Uh, Brent Martin, Austin Lane, Action Sports Shack, Stuart Weber, along with Coos here on a Wednesday. That was Gardner Minshew this afternoon having some fun. That, yeah. uh, great, great response right there uh, by Gardner Minshew when asked about Dobbs and, and is he as smart as him. Uh, Dobbs is very intelligent. I wanted to ask you, are you okay now? Did you sleep a little better last night? No, because Christian, well, no, Christian Yelich is out for the season, so I didn't get any sleep last yeah, night. So but you shifted your I'm focus. over the Dobbs thing. Yeah, yeah. needless to say, I'm going on zero hours of sleep. But thankfully, I'm kind of over the Josh Dobbs thing. So instead of like Roger Goodell thoughts and, and nightmares of draft day, it, you were thinking more about like knee surgery last night yeah, in your sleep. I was literally how thinking donate his knee. Yeah, I was thinking. About, I literally googled how can you donate your knee um, to another person, and unfortunately, you we wouldn't really do it. We aren't there yet. You wouldn't really. I have a fight coming you up. Got you got a fight, fight coming. coming. I would. You can't give away I, would your knee. I would make you do it. I mean, you could probably give away your shin. You can't feel anything there anyway. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really can't. Yeah, I just. Yeah, neither can I anymore. Yeah, but I mean, I, I'm kind of over it, Brent. You know, um, like I said, Magoo's on Houston now, and I'm cool with that. Hopefully, he doesn't come in the game and drop 20. But it is the Josh Dobbs show now. At least as the backup, and we'll see where it goes. Magoo's third string in Houston, right? Yes. Well, but they put him on, on the active roster. Come on, though. Is, is he really Who's the backup? AJ McCarron. Yeah. Okay. He's pretty good. Yeah. Right. yeah. But they didn't. They obviously like Magoo yeah. enough. I mean, they were paying him high dollar for a practice squad guy. Sure. And then. But this also kind of begs the question, too, real quick. I mean, yeah, so there was rumblings that the Jaguars wanted to bring him back. Yeah. Well, you, you got to wonder if Houston wanted to quick snag him away so he doesn't show anything of the, of the offensive playbook to the Jaguars. That's especially fair. a guy that had a history with the Jaguars before. So. Yeah. And it, it might have been a little gamesmanship, too, on the part yeah. of the Jaguars, I mean, to bring him back. But I also think don't get lost in how much they like Magoo as much as. Is Watson banged up? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think after a couple of those hits and, and hitting the ground on the touchdown and then taking a hit, keep getting hit. It's, yeah. it's an interesting question. And we'll see if he keeps getting hit on Sunday, uh, if he keeps getting back up. Uh, so. One more thought. We had Mike Leach, uh, the Washington State coach who coached Gardner Minshew in college on at the top of the show, uh, if you missed it. And he had this to say about how he got Minshew to Washington State. I said, you want to hold a clipboard at Alabama or you want to leave the nation of passing at Washington State? And then, uh, well, within a couple of days, he visited here and then came here and off we went. That's Mike Leach. You can hear more of our interview on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690 podcast. Uh, you can check it out on all the different video platforms, digital platforms. And uh, Coos was good enough to even chop out that 15-minute interview with uh, Mike Leach and put it on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram as well. So He's great. Instagram video. He's so good. Uh, one, one of the first interviews I did in the TV business was going to Big 12 Media Days when he was at Texas Tech. And it was classic because they had, you know, tables set up for all the coaches. Everyone would have a glass of water on theirs. He had a glass on his as well, but it was brown. I don't know what <laughs> was, was in the glass, but it was not water. Dico. Yeah, maybe. I didn't see any bubbles in it, though. Just some, <laughs> just some glass. Very some, flat some, some ice. Very flat. It's been all sitting right. out a while. And hey, we're going to go stay in your lane. You're going to be up against it. You like it? What you got? Uh, Can you handle the pressure? Not really, but who's hit the music? We'll see. So do I talk during the music yes. or the music? Okay. We, we're going to get to the point where you don't even acknowledge the engine Yeah, but I just feel like it's like a background thing and it's the serious or whatever. Okay, so cruise control, Brent. It adds Brent. to the flavor here. I got you, man. The listeners like it. Okay. Well, if it's a... Okay, whatever. All right, so in the world of MMA... <laughs> hey, we're uh, teaching them people. What do you want? Yeah, but if it's like a sad story, I feel like this song's not appropriate. But it's not a sad story. This is a cool one. Uh, <laughs> well, you so, start with cruise control. It should all be mostly a good story. Well, it's a feel-good story, if that makes it feel right. any better. So yeah, in the world ahead. of MMA, Brent, we're, we're accustomed to seeing trash talking, call-outs, um, and kind of ways to be the next internet meme. And we haven't talked about really at all, but this is the past UFC fight uh, this past Saturday when Khabib squared off against Dustin Poirier. Uh, um, Khabib ended up mauling him like a lot of people thought he was gonna. He's good. Yeah, and uh, but he did something that was different than what you're accustomed to seeing a fighter do after a fight. Yes, they just shook hands and they hugged and you know they showed admiration, respect for other. But Khabib shows you that he's a real, true martial artist because after he beat Dustin Poirier and beat him pretty definitively, um, he took Dustin Poirier's walkout shirt and he put it on. And he wore Dustin Poirier's walkout shirt when he's getting interviewed after the fight. And basically what he says is that he has nothing but respect for Dustin Poirier. And he understands that Poirier does a lot of uh, things in the community with kids and things of that nature. And that he wanted all of his fans. And keep in mind, this is in uh, Abu Dhabi where Khabib had a lot of fans uh, from that fight. And he basically told all the fans, listen, I'm, I'm wearing this shirt in support of Dustin. You guys should all go out buy his shirt as well. And that way you can get some more money and, you know, help with his charities and foundations and things like that. So I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a nice bow. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, nice on that fight. Especially when yeah. you got like, Khabib McGregor, when Khabib hops the fence and goes after McGregor's yeah. guys and Khabib's guys go in the cage and try to fight McGregor. So it was a nice change of pace and it really shows what MMA is all about. I like it. Pump your brakes. Just uh, real quick, social media overreactions. Last night, Rob Gronkowski tweeted out the eyeball-looking emoji, and sports Twitter absolutely lost their minds. Oh, Gronk's coming back. Gronk's coming back. That's what it means. 
all he tweeted was the eyeball emojis for the fact that he's going to be on a, a podcast coming up and people should look at it. But he's and that's all it meant. You know? So everyone, literally, literally, like, <laughs> pump your brakes, all right? If we, 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 if we, I had five million followers, I'd do that all the time. Just to mess with people? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this is it's the state of the world now, Brent. Like, if you're a professional athlete, you, do, you go cryptic, man. Yeah, I only cryptic. have four million, so I don't do it. You'd be surprised. Uh, real quick, let's take a poll around the horn. That's a different show. But uh, Gronkowski play this year? No. No. Wow, you guys were so adamant about he, he that. He weighs like 210 pounds. Yeah, I what, what's he too. playing? Okay. Yeah, I don't okay. think so either. Okay. All right, hey, that's going to do it uh, for Action Sports Chats on ESPN 690. Again, check out our Mike Leach interview on Gardner Minshew on all the social media platforms, digital channels, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Periscope, on our podcast. We are everywhere. For Stuart Weber, Coos, Austin Lane, I'm Brent Martineau. We'll do it again tomorrow here on a Thursday on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. See you on TV tonight, CBS 47 and Fox 30. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.